More fun than a room full of wombats. Able to reach huge audiences with a single broadcast. Yes, it's the Outdoor Journal Radio Show. And now, another exciting episode in the adventures of Outdoor Journal Radio. Yahoo! Welcome to the program. I've been waiting to do this one for, well, probably all my life. Or at least all winter. Well, that too. Could be that. Uh, Welcome to the program, Outdoor Journal Radio Show, the podcast. And uh, uh, I am uh, so excited about today's program. Uh, Peter Bowman sitting over there, and I'm Angela Viola. We're going to talk about bass. No way. Bass. Oh, now you got me going, kid. You know, now you got me going. I always try when people say, "What's your favorite fish?" and you know, "What do you do there?" I always try and disguise, <laughs> and I think most bass fishermen probably do. They try and disguise their obsession with this little green critter called bass or brown critter, brown gold green. I call them green. Now you can argue with me color now, because you know I'm colorblind. Now you're going to make fun of that. Uh, no, I, wow. didn't, I didn't know that, but from now on, I will take you're that into consideration. Fun I'm not. I just thought I'd throw it in there, but it's I got a, you. That's a nice red shirt you have on there. Thank today, you. <laughs> like like, Joe, like uh, uh, Joe, uh, Joe Anthony. We had, we had a buddy on the East Coast, and we went out one night. and it, Ruined that poor man. He, he was so a, happy. He was dressed he up was so happy. nice, and he had this beautiful, he had a pair of jeans on and this really nice dress jet, uh, shirt on, but the problem was it was pink. So we walked up and said, Joe. You're not going out like that, are you? I got, he said, what do you mean? He said, well, you got a pink shirt on. He goes, pink? It it's pink? pink? Wait a minute. I'm colorblind. They told me it was salmon. salmon. <laughs> oh, God. That was I it. Love that, that was guy. it for that shirt. <laughs> Is it really? All night. Is it really pink, guys? <laughs> oh, God. Oh, uh, the Fish and Cash Show has seen on Global Television Network and the Sportsman Channel. Nice. Nicely done. It's now available for you. Uh, uh, new episodes every Saturday at 8 a.m. Uh, same time on Sportsman Channel, incidentally, ironically. Yeah, so cool. it competes It competes against itself. Well, we've been known to do that with some of our entities, uh, mm. if you remember correctly. So mm. this, this uh, Outdoor Journal Radio podcast now does not have to compete with it, unless you wanted to listen to it and watch TV at the same time, which you could do. I suppose you could. And mute the TV it, to see, see get your beautiful look with your salmon shirt on. and, and A lot of listen. people do that. I don't understand it. How can you focus? Right? Oh, yeah. That's the multi thing, buddy. We're not multitaskers. We are half taskers. Barely do one task. Yeah, you know, that's what I mean. Uh-huh. We're half taskers. Mm-hmm. I'm not, uh, nothing multi about me at all. And of course, also on YouTube, you can also watch it on YouTube if you don't want to watch it on uh, a global. Yeah, correct. If you don't want to watch it on the Sportsman Channel, by the way, Sportsman Channel airs four times a week. Yeah, that's some four good times there. a week. Mm-hmm. Like it's on Saturdays, Tuesdays, Thursdays, and Fridays. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Look at exactly. that. Boy, Jordan's really pumped today. He's pushing those buttons pretty good. That's more Maybe button pushing. We need pushing. to have, have him sitting there a little bit, put the delay on the, uh, a little longer because we had a little uh, surprise visit with uh, a TRX Ram. Oh, my so God. The boys were, oh my, Friend yeah, of ours just get... dropped in. He bought a brand new Ram TRX, which is T-Rex, <laughs> for those of you who are taking notes. And, oh, my God. I just I, It's known as the Raptor Killer. In the I real world myself. back in the day, that was the, the T-Rex. It was the little Raptor Killer. And this is the uh, Dodge's uh, Rams 
claim to fame too. We're going to take that raptor down. And uh, boy, I'll tell you, <laughs> she's a monster. I wet myself. I <laughs> just a little bit. Ooh, just a little uh, bit. Yes, just a little bit though. Uh, it's not visible. Uh, God. Anyways, um, so that's uh, that's uh, we wanted to to to, to uh, just share that with you. Yeah, I, mean, I don't know why, but we did anyways. Yeah, no, I was, the, the boys were they were sitting there pented up. I think the boys were chomping at the bit to get going. So Jordan's on the throttle now with the sound effects, which is good. An interesting um, survey. Uh, done that we're going to talk about before we get into our subject matter. By the way, did I tell you we're going to talk about bass today? No, you didn't tell me. Oh, you told everybody about else. Bass. You didn't tell me. <laughs> What's it about? Bass. <laughs> you sound like a sheep. Bass. Bass. Uh, we have an interesting survey to share with you about bass. <laughs> um, about uh, tournament fishing for bass, and the, and the question is, uh, or or the the statement coming out uh, from the survey, which you'll see on fishingcanada.com, by the way, if you were so inclined to go there and get your uh, your news, because I think the, the whole survey thing, the article's there yeah. uh, as we speak. Yes, and it's uh, uh, titled, Why Bass Are the Perfect Tournament Species. And tournament, you know, one of the reasons that people love bass so much, I think tournaments had a lot to do with that. But we'll talk about that a little bit later on. In recent, I would say, months, if not maybe years, there has been some concern about uh, tournament uh, tournaments in general, and uh, you know, are they doing harm to the species? Are are they properly run? Are they all regulated properly? And all kinds of stuff. So yeah. this survey or this this research that was done is very timely, and a couple of really interesting facts, Mister Bowman, as you uh, you and I both looked at, and were yes. rather surprised. Yes. Uh, about the bass's ability to, to uh, durability, durability in in live durable wells. little species. It really is a durable little species when you think about it, right? Well, not that little, but I mean, and how often do your how often do your bass die? Let's say you put them in. A, if you were to put them in a live well, even if you wanted to eat them or whatever reason. They don't die that often when you think about it, right? They just, they seem to, they seem to. Generally, the ones that die are the ones that you pretty much know are going to die. Yeah. Right from the get-go. Hooked them wrong or. Either hooked them wrong or they're just too deep. Yeah. You brought them up too quickly from too deep. And then there's not much that's, I know we've talked about fizzing, which we'll talk about later on today too. Mm -hmm. But, you know, at the end of the day, it's going to be pretty hard to, to keep that fish from, uh, from not making it. Exactly. But. Most, especially largemouth, because most largemouth are caught relatively shallow. Most of those fish, man, you could, you could, I think you could keep them in that live well for a couple of days if you're recirculating the water. As long as they have oxygen. Yeah. Yeah. yeah they're tough as nails. They really are. But in this study that was done, actually done in 2005 at Queens University, they, they put uh, cameras, tiny little cameras in the live wells and then proceeded to to act as if this was a tournament. So the, mm. the, 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 the live wells would be moved around and shuffled around and banged around yep. and, and all the things that would happen in a boat during a tournament. And by... Which are uh, not normal boating conditions, by the way, folks. If you've never been in a bass tournament and never seen these bass boats going, it's anything but a calm ride in, okay? Just to let you know, the boys are get they the time is of the essence and they will beat their boats to a shred just to get back on time, so... We have often said how in the hell are those poor 
animals are going to survive this mm-hmm. as we're getting beat up ourselves yeah. in, in rough water. Yeah. And we had no idea. I had no idea how that was happening because, you know, you go up, open a live well when you finally, <laughs> when you finally reach some flat water and you can put some fresh water into the, into the tank, you open up the, the lid and you look in there and they're just perfectly fine. Hey, hey how you doing out there guys? And meanwhile, we're beat up. Yeah. We're not even in a live well. <laughs> Uh, but with these tiny little cameras that were placed in these live wells, um, they were able to find out why. And one of the things that they found out is that bass have this uncanny ability to stay away from the perimeters of the live well. So they will stay in the middle of the tank um, during extreme conditions, which simply means they're likely not going to get banged up. And that is an incredible I mean, I'd love to see it. I would love to see the the yeah. the, the recorded images. Yeah, that would how. be really cool. They can they can also detect the motion of the water and turn their bodies towards it. It's it's crazy. That, that's yeah, that's it's insane. crazy. It's a natural ability that the fish doesn't even know it has, but it does have it. Now, I would imagine, you know, this was done with one or two fish in a in a live well when you. When you stick four or five big fish in there, I would I would imagine their ability to move would be a little more difficult. A little crowding in there, yeah. Right, because they have to move, first of all, in unison. Secondly, mm-hmm. they don't have the room to turn around. So that might yeah. be a little more difficult. Yeah, but now, now again, look at modern-day bass fishing and bass boats. There's normally two live wells, so you're probably splitting up, you know, your fish into two and one and three and the other, so that kind of helps too, right? So there's no reason to, to use just one live well for – if you can use two or you know two of them to help disperse the fish, I guess. So they they asked themselves, well, how would the fish know that it it should be sort of midline in the live well? Because that'd be a question I'd ask. How does it even know it's in a live? How well? How do it know? How does it know it's in a live well? Never mind, uh, you know, all this business. But apparently, the, that's the area that receives the least amount of water movement when the boat is in motion, is the middle of the live well. Isn't that crazy? Whereas the sides and the front and the back would, would get a lot more sloshing around. Yeah, gotta, in the middle, that water's not sloshing. I got a high five Queens University even figuring, just figuring that out. They're that the water crazy. moves less in the middle than the bottom of the top. That's pretty cool. So that in itself was pretty amazing. When I first read this, I thought, wow, that's great that fish have the ability to, I guess it's a survival instinct uh, is the way I would describe it. Yeah. And they have this great ability to, to be able to survive. I, I just, it's, it's a wonderful. They're like a, a, a live gyroscope. Yeah. You know? What a wonderful thing for fish to have that. Well, then, then you start looking <laughs> at the rest of the research and you say, oh, but it's not all fish. Right. Basses are very smart. Basses are very adaptive. They, so they did the same study with walleye. And they seem to have the, the lack the ability to orient themselves in the light well at all, often remaining in the position that were, they're placed in. Like if you put them in there, and they just kept their bodies there suspended, uh, usually in the upper half of the column. So these walleye were just sort of, oh, where the hell am I? Uh, okay, I, I don't like this, and I'm not going to adapt to this. Uh, uh, so, and the results were, you know, they were getting these violent collisions with the with the side of the live wells, and in a lot of cases yeah. damaging themselves. And we know that from experience, Uh walleye just don't do well in that environment mm-hmm. period. and and you got to look at it this way too in in walleye tournaments compared to bass tournaments now 
although rough water is rough water everywhere, the walleye fishing in these tournaments is usually in the biggest of big waters too, right? All the, the Great Lakes uh, and all these big reservoirs in the U.S. and way up north, you go into the Rainy Lake and, and like it's all big water stuff as a rule, right? Sometimes rivers, but then they get beat up. Now they got big boats too. Yeah, but, but still, but 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 I my argument there is you, there's so many bass tournaments that are in big water nowadays mm-hmm. that they get the same yeah. amount of beating, right? Oh yeah, yeah. I'm just saying. I have a theory water. about that, but we'll we'll save it for later on in the program. But, oh, I, but I do have right. a theory as to why bass and not walleye have adapted. You want to hear it now? I, I'll give it to you're you. You're going to forget. You know we're going to forget, yeah, or you're, you're going right. to forget. Right. Or we, All right. Know. So yeah. bass. And pre- predominantly largemouth bass. This does not yeah. even pertain to smallmouth. They were kind of the first competitive fishing freshwater fish. Yes. And so, I mean, the boys, uh, Ray Scott and Roland Martin and and Forrest Woods, and I mean, all the old boys who started this whole tournament thing in the 60s, um, late 50s to early 60s, um, this was the first species that they they kind of said, "Hey, this would be a great game. Let's let's make it into a tournament. Let's make it into a competitive thing. We'll have money and we'll and and right away within the first couple of years, uh, they decided that the only way that this was going to work is that they needed to build tanks in these boats called live wells, uh, so that they can maintain these fish, so that they could bring them in to weigh in." And, and at, that was the advent or the birth of live wells was, was back in the early 60s. Right. And bass was the only creature that was being used for competitive fishing at the time, freshwater fish. And this went on till at least, at least the early 80s, maybe mid to late 80s, before you started hearing of competitive walleye tournaments taking place. They were much later in the evolutionary um, line of tournaments. So here's my theory. Now hear me out on this. Oh boy. All right. I've said this many times. Time and time again. That bass will adapt and they will genetically imprint their next uh, offsprings with abilities to detect certain things. For example, baits, bait colors, bait profiles, there, we all have gone through that phase where, and I and I use a white spinnerbait only because it's it's so evident. White spinnerbaits at one point in bass fishing tournaments, if you weren't throwing a white spinnerbait, you were not competitive. You were not catching fish. And uh, this went on for a number of years on bodies of water that got a lot of fishing pressure. And consequently, from those tournament um, results, the general public started keying in on the same baits. And once again, white spinnerbaits were being used by just uh, regular anglers, not just tournament anglers, for the longest time. And it was scientifically proven, because this didn't last forever. It lasted for four or five years. And then all of a sudden, people are saying, I can't get bit on a white spinnerbait on that body of water anymore. And scientifically proven that bass were able to pass this on to their next uh, uh, line of offsprings mm. that, Whatever it was about that white spinnerbait in that body of water. It hurt their mouths. It just was not good for them. Freaking things hurt when I eat them. There you go. And I'm thinking that the reason that bass have. Wow, you're going deep here now. Yeah. Yeah. Because they're the ones who have been in these live wells. 
since the early 60s, late 50s, early 60s. And they've had all kinds of time. And, and because the lion's share of them were released and survived, they're able to pass that on. Wow. There. Thank you. Wow. Okay. So now these bass that are saying, well, I can't bite that white spinnerbait because not only is it going to hurt my mouth, but I'm going to go for a shitty ass boat ride. In a, in a, in a box. In a box. And I just can't have that. So I'm going to eat that Sanko instead. There you go. There's Angelo's theory. I'm telling you. You laugh. I bet you. I'm going to use a white spinnerbait. I got to see. Oh, it's, still it's, working. it's back. It's back. It's back. <laughs> it's oh. back. Exactly. Oh, it's back, baby. <laughs> oh, shit. It's back. I love it. <laughs> Anyways, I just thought I would. Yeah, there you go. Share that. Um, How about temperature in these live wells? Were, were, were there any, any the live wells? Anything, yeah. It was anything that came back from temperatures. Uh, well, I think I would think that, I mean, we, we've learned in the past, especially smallmouth fishing in tournaments that, you know, the addition of ice, a big bag of ice in the live well, it, it seems to help these fish, especially when you're taking them into from a colder water to a warmer water environment. It seems to help the smallmouth, right? Keeps them kind of their. I don't know about largemouth. Um, I think largemouth, you put war, pour yeah. some hot water in yeah. there. They'd enjoy that. If you went warm to cold on largemouth, it wouldn't matter at all. No. They'd adapt really well They're to the that. Perfect. Let's you be know? honest. There is not a better fish to fish for competitively yeah. than or for large, fun. Largemouth. I like, I like fishing and, for fun. Not only for the fish, but for the angler, for the spectators. For the sport in general, for, for the industry, for the industry, and think about how the end fishing industry is. Largemouth uh, is perfect. Yeah, predominantly shallow water, so you don't have to go out in the middle of you know a, a huge body of, of 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 ocean to to go and fish for them. Mm-hmm. Pre- predominantly in shallow water, predominantly very predictable. And um 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 um, um I, I I dare say I don't like using this, but Fairly easy to catch. Oh, I know. I know. I hated saying say that. that. But the, the the temperature thing, you know, as as Dean got wrote in here, the temperatures up to eighty five degrees. You got to remember they they go right down to that thirty four degree water temperature too. So that's thirty four to eighty five, and they're no problem in any of that range. So that None. is very adaptable. You know, there's no doubt about it. They don't bite well in the water in the thirties and and even low forties, but that's because they are more of a warmer water fish. But you can still catch them. But when they, you know. They may not bite well in 85-degree water temperatures either. It might be too warm for them in that sense, but they survive. They survive it, and they seem to do okay. Not only do they survive these constant mm. changes in, in live wells, but they seem to do okay. Mm. It wasn't until smallmouth really started becoming uh, popular for tournament anglers that temperature uh, became a real big issue, a huge issue. Right. And then, you know, we started looking at things like putting ice in the water, which, which of course came with its own set of problems. And that Mm -hmm. is that the water that you put (laughs) in or the ice that you put in those live walls eventually comes out of the bag and that water is chlorinated. And that's another issue that, that you have to deal with. So putting a bag of ice is not the answer bag of ice. And you know what I often thought of? When are we going to finally get a bass boat company building some sort of controllable climate? Refrigeration? Climate. What well, total climate uh, control in the live wells that you can What the hell? Put it on the seats too for us. Well, they've already done that. Conditioning and stuff well, see, like but they've that. already done that. That's what I'm saying. I wonder why, why companies have not developed, because that'd be cool. 
they've done a lot of oxygen work. I will say yes. that they've had the oxygenator and they had these little uh, vents on the top of the live wells that you can add in there to help uh, with the oxygen. But yeah, temperature, no, they haven't especially done in some of these big uh, walleye tournament boats that that you know are hundred thousand mm-hmm. plus dollars. Mm-hmm. Um, I wouldn't think it would be a stretch to think that we have the technology to at least uh, be able to to refrigerate. Yeah, the surrounding cool, area immediately yeah. adjacent to the live well somehow mm, right interesting or or the water going in maybe there's a, the water a, like a filtering in. idea that goes through it cools it down and then shoots it into the live well maybe through, you know yeah. pump pump lake to pump pump to this uh, cooler and then the cooler in yeah yeah cooling unit. are you marking this stuff down these are brilliant ideas you know somebody's listen somebody is listening to this right now that is marking this stuff down, unlike you. And then what? And then, and then gonna... going out and they're going to develop it and it's going to be on the market. And then I'm going to say to you, did you, re- like you were supposed to remind me. Assholes. I hate those guys out there. But they're there. Scooping you all the time. Scooping. Scoop. Poop scoopers. Scoops. Yes. That's what they are. <laughs> very adaptable species bass for sure. Especially largemouth bass, like Ans was saying. They're very, uh um, tough, tough as nails, tougher than a bag of nails. There's something else we forgot to mention that they're perfect for, for tournaments. And that is their profile. You know, they're, they're relatively short and round, which are perfect something for like live myself. wells. Something like yourself. Perfect for live wells, as opposed to long and thin, oh, I mean. which you have walleye and pike, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, now you see walleye boats. They make long live wells for, and walleye boats. Our Prince craft has a big, long live well in it too versus bass boats that have that so they do have the they've changed because of the species for sure you know they've tried anyways so but anyways i saw yeah yeah they're like little footballs right you can beat the snot and throw them a mile and and just beat them up and (laughs) club them if you have to right (laughs) uh so walleye tournaments are 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 frantically looking for answers as to how they can i think they're going to have you know what the answer is they're going to have to go to the MLF. instant relief yeah. release uh, MLF style. Yeah. Yep. Because uh, that'd be perfect for walleye. It'd be really good. It's, it's the answer, yeah, right? It really is. I mean, they, they, everybody wants to see the big weigh-in and the big show, but you know what? MLF is doing a good job without it, so. Having said that. Yeah. Having said all well, of that. pointing at me real nasty like folks. He just pointing Having at said me. all of that, it's always been a problem. Even with bass people, you always have the naysayers. They're saying, yeah, 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 you guys are killing all the fish in my lake. Why is there always naysayers? Why can't people just be happy and not be these uh, internet uh, cowboy goombas that just, uh, I'm going to type in there my problem. Right oh, yeah. now, I'm going to let somebody know. Right? What, what are you saying? I get, so, you don't get me going because I hate so, these pricks. Because, well, don't call them that. Why not? You can't call them that. They could call me you something. Don't even know they them. call me asshole. I've been called asshole two weeks in a row on somebody on a freaking keyboard. You're a prick. There you go. Mr. Maybe, Pr- Mr. Prick will be nice. I worked with a guy, Joe Peterkin, back in the day. Joe Peterkin, great guy. And, and that, that's what he'd say. Good morning, Mr. Prick. He had this kind of a list. Good morning, Mr. Prick. And he so called he everybody knew Mr. You well. Prick. Oh, he knew I called everybody Mr. Prick. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> he was just Joe. That was just Joe. <laughs> so here's my thing about 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 tournaments and 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 killing or not killing. Which, by the way, I still believe that the vast majority of the fish that are handled properly during a tournament environment, where the tournament organizers have taken the care that is required to make sure that the survival rate is at its utmost. Mm -hmm. 
I think most of those fish not only survive, but they thrive. Yeah. And um, I agree. so I'm not worried about that. However, uh, there are folks who still don't believe that. So here's my thinking on this. If we took a hundred boats that are going to be on that particular lake this weekend, tournament fishing, because that's where the tournament is. Yep. That's a hundred boats that are going to be out there catching their five, bringing in their five bringing fish. In, yes, catching more than that. Because we have to assume that that the culling process is safe and harmless, and and everybody's doing it properly, and that is releasing them right away. Mm-hmm. The question has always been putting them in the box and then transporting them 30, 40 miles right. uh, to the other end of the lake. Right. And the temperature change and all that stuff that we discussed. Yep. So, so my thinking is this, at least those people are, are participating in some sort of conservation of the species. Mm-hmm. Right. For sure. Because just as easily those hundred boats could be on a lake or each one of those boats could be on a hundred different lakes, taking those five fish home, frying them up and eating them or or worse than that, taking them home and throwing them in the freezer and then throwing them out six months later because that does not edible. That happens more than you can believe. And so the reason I'm saying all this is that we, we have to, we have to look at that as, as a positive. Mm Mm-hmm. All of these anglers that participate in tournaments, well-meaning, um, are doing their part to conserve as opposed to anglers who are just going out to That's right. recreate. Yeah. Now, people, That's my people are going to argue, well, you're just doing it for the money. Well, you're not just doing well, it for the money. You're doing it for the experience. You're doing it for the learning experience. You're doing it for the fish. You're, you're this is it, to, in order to fish tournaments on and on and on. Maybe it's ultimately about winning that paycheck. Yeah. But there's so much more to it. And what Ange is saying is right. The, the conservation aspect is huge in this. We w- we do not want to kill one fish during that tournament. Buddy there with his club and his fillet knife want to kill all fish. He wants to get his limit. And not only must he get his limit, he wants to put it in the freezer. And if he's not very uh, ethical, he'll go out and do it again and not care about what's uh, legal and what's not legal. Which, by the way, that is, is totally illegal. In most cases, Absolutely. it's a possession limit. Absolutely. Right? And possession means in your possession, which means if you have your limit of fish in the freezer. And this is something you might want to pay attention to because so far um, I'm not aware. I'm sure there have been, but I'm not aware of any enforcement of this particular rule or law. And that is that when you read the, uh, the guide that's put out each year for your area mm-hmm. and you see the phrase possession limits, possession limits, what that means is that in your possession at any time, mm-hmm. i.e. on the deck of your boat, that's possession. In the freezer at home, that's possession. So if you have your limit of walleye or bass or whatever it is that you enjoy uh, eating in your freezer and you're out fishing and you catch one more, you're fishing one, illegally. One more than the possession number. Right. Yes, correct. If you have five yeah, in your freezer and your possession limit is five that's right. and you go out on the lake Saturday and you catch one more of those fish, you're breaking the law. Well, that, those ones in the freezer, Billy caught those last time he was out with me. And he's 12. 
Well, Billy, uh, we need to interrogate Billy then. Yeah. Well, Billy I, won't lie. I've already taught Billy. Well, nah, Billy won't lie. At I've the end really, of the day, I bribed him with lie. an Xbox. Yeah. Well. <laughs> <laughs> it happens. And, the, and to, uh, re, uh, just to carry on a little bit more, you, the, the days of double limit as your possession limit are over, for at least in Ontario. It used to be we're allowed to keep six bass right now. Your possession is six bass. Well, back in the day, you used to be able to possess 12 bass. So that would put you back on the water. You can get six more. Uh, you know, what Ange is talking about was legal then. Now it ain't so anymore. There, your possession is usually the same as the daily limit. And you've got to be very careful with that, folks, because people have been busted for that. The wardens, although there's a lack of wardens out there, they they sometimes watch people when they hear they get a hint they get a tip from somebody tips M N R that that this guy's catching lots of fish they sit there they watch him and they say okay there he is there, let's go in and let's check his freezer and boom the freezer's full charged so it does happen not often not enough often, not often enough yeah as but, far as I'm concerned. but it does happen so I, I I was with a group of guys one time this is how how picky they could get I was with a group of guys one time and by the way consuming. You would think consuming means that they're not in your possession anymore, right? Consuming means, okay. What if you consume your fish every day? Right. Oh. They're gone. On a daily basis, every day. Is that that legal to go out and catch more? Not on the same day. Ah. If you ate that guy, you can go the next day. Exactly. The reason, and the reason I was going to say this, because I got, I got caught in, in one of these scenarios years ago in Algonquin Park. And we had a group of guys. We used to go in regularly with this group of guys. And it was, we, all we would f- eat for the period we were in there, it was predominantly fish. Right. Breakfast, lunch, supper was mm. fish, right? Breakfast of champions, buddy. And so one time, uh, and, and it was not unusual to have people come in, inspectors come in, uh, COs come in and, and check our, our limits and have a chat, see how we're doing, take yeah. a Creel census yeah. and all that stuff, right? Yeah. Well, one time we screwed up. Oh, boy. Oh, my. Yeah. Because we didn't know. We thought if you consume them, they're consumed. Get back at her again. I don't have it. I don't have him anymore. Let's get back at her. Show me where he is, Mr. Game Warden. Exactly. Well, guess what? They found the carcasses. Uh Uh-huh. But we weren't hiding the carcasses because we didn't think there was anything wrong. In fact, the carcasses were right there on the shore. The gulls hadn't eaten them all up yet. Right. right? They came in. Lucky you didn't throw them in the water. You got to charge for that, too. Well, there, no, back then it was okay. I, I know. Yeah. And so they said, uh, you know, can we have a look at your, your, your fish? And I said, yeah, no problem. We don't, uh, we only got like four or five from early this morning. And the one cop, he went rummaging around the camp while the other guy was keeping us busy. And he came back with some carcasses. And uh, he said, because uh, we didn't know. Keep in mind, we didn't know. Yeah. And, and he said, uh, oh, these, these look like made a nice uh, nice meal for you boys. When did you have those? Of course, we said, oh, shit, about an hour ago. Oh. Bad, well, I'm counting. I'm counting. How many are, is there any more guys hiding out there in the woods in the, the tent? No, this is all of us. Okay. <laughs> so he did the math. But and, then you're saying, oh, uh, would anybody like a beer? Would you guys like a beer? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we tried that too. It doesn't work. <laughs> Anyway, they did the math, and uh, lo and behold, uh, we were five fish over. Wow, eh? Yeah. So that's when I first learned that your possession limit is for the day, mm-hmm. and just because you consume them, you need to wait till the next day. Just because you consume them doesn't mean you can go back out and fill that limit again, right? Which obviously is 
is done a lot on purpose too. Like at Angelo and I'm, I'm sure tons of anglers have done that accidentally. Mm. So there's guys that go in, okay, let's go like, eat. Uh, we eat them. Now let's go back out for the evening fish because yeah. they, because there, there are out there people, there are anglers, you'll call them anglers because they are, but that just have to keep fish. They just want to keep everything. They're still out there. I know some and it, it kills me, but they have to keep them all. I have to just catch and keep and kill and eat. How much can so, you, how much fish can you consume? Yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, really, seriously, how much? So, so somebody who's got, you know, uh, a half a dozen of this and, and three or four of those and three or four of those and, and, and whatnot in the freezer already, like, I, I don't get it. I, I really don't. Yeah. And, and wouldn't it be nice to eat fresh? It's, it's always nice to eat fresh for right. sure. But so anyway, don't put them in the freezer. They're out there. All right. Let's talk. Hey, how about our fan question for this week? Do you want to hear that one? This is from Trevor Morrison via email again at info at fishingcanada.com. Please keep throwing the questions at us. Speaking of bass, which is harder to catch? Big smallmouth or big largemouth? That's a great question. You know, it's a very, it's a. I personally. Yeah. I personally think smallmouth. Oh, really? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. If I have to make a decision right here and now, yeah, I think it's smallmouth, big wow. smallmouth. Yeah, I'm, I'm opposite. I think big largemouth. They're to me, they're just a nemesis to catch. Yeah, you know, depending on what we're calling big, too. Obviously, right? yeah, we have to I, put a. We have, I know that uh, in the largemouth world, most anglers think that in in Canada, that five pound mark is the yeah. number to hit, right? Mm-hmm. That twenty inch or twenty and a bit inch or smallmouth. Well, a five pound small was a giant fish. Oh my God. You know what I mean? So we <laughs> oh could be used God. five pound and five pound as per, I think is more geographically speaking. Like if you're on the, on the great lakes, for instance, Erie, Lake Ontario for, for the two that we fish the most, you know, a, a five pound smallmouth is, there's a lot of them out there. Let's just say there is a lot of them out there, a lot more than people think. And then to me that, it's it's easier to catch a big smallmouth in that sense than a big largemouth, but well, the word easy is what I'm keying in on, right? Not the likelihood of. I said easier, yeah, but because to me a big largemouth is easy to catch. Oh, know. I wish I was you. Damn it, I yeah, freaking well, I know you've been wishing you were me all your life, buddy. What, freaking, what, what you just woke up? No, now and yes, now that I hear this this theory, Good then I, I finally wanted to be you, like for real, because it's a very visual thing. You can you can almost look at the water and say, "My God, there's got to be a big largemouth there." You can't really do that with smallmouth. Yeah, yeah, you can. You look and you say, oh, well, see, "Holy that's shit!" Why I don't catch any? There's a big smallmouth right there because you see them swimming because the <laughs> bastards are out there in that flat. And you say, "Holy <laughs> shit!" There's four five pounders and three three pounders, and I'm going to get one of see, them. See, sure. you're back now. Don't get me started because we're going to get into it here pretty soon. You're back into those spotting fish. No, no, no. Right. Are you All kidding right. me? No, July and August on saying. Lake Ontario. You I'm can't just, tell me you can't see those fish. I'm just saying. And you better Let's get your glasses sure. checked, pal. Let's make sure we're not talking about that. Uh, we're going to have a dispute, you and You and Nick need to get your uh, right. your new contacts going. All right. Okay. <laughs> I, I, I just, to me. That's it, fine. That's it, why the question yeah. is intriguing. I mean, the, the, largemouth, their... the, the largemouth thing is, is all about the hunt, for sure. It's more of a hunting thing to me. Mm. It's like uh, you're going out there and you're hitting these little, you got a like that. Smallmouth are really very much a roaming fish. Like rarely, except for spawning. How often do you see a smallmouth just sitting? 
They don't. You watch no, live scope, they, they just move. move constantly. So it's not just hunting for them. It's kind of an interception thing with them. It's kind of a chasing for, for them. So it's a whole different game. And I've just, I know I've caught a lot more five pound smallmouth than I have a lot uh, largemouth. And I'm a guy that loves okay. largemouth. So that's my, that's my kind of my, uh, my but, game. Is but if you were to say how much time do you spend smallmouth fishing versus largemouth fishing? Um, um, a lot more on largemouth. Oh. I spend a lot more time largemouth fishing than well, you by far. Man. Yeah, I do. I, buddy, I've caught, like last year, I caught numerous fours, four pound largemouth, four plus, four plus, four fifteen. Okay. That, but I got that five pound number that I want to, I want to okay, hit. But right? It's also location, right? Location, location. Yeah. You just right? might not be on bodies of water oh. that, that. Well, again, yeah. You, yeah. Are yeah, other people beg, catching? Beggins. Is somebody else catching them um, that you're not? Not, I don't know about that one. Right. I don't really. So. But, but I'm not going to, I, I don't like. I'm not going to go fishing just for two pounders. I'm at that point in my life where I don't want to just go catch two pounders. I'd like to catch a five pounder in a day. And if I get two pounders with it, beautiful. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. So what you're saying is you're putting yourself in places Decent where, yeah, where there's, the yeah. likelihood of yeah, yeah. contact with a big fish or something. And sometimes I contact them and I lose the bastards, oh. uh, you know, whatever, you know what I mean? Or, yeah. or I see them and I can't catch them. I can't coax them into, into biting. If I see a five pound smallmouth, I, I feel very confident I can catch that fish. They're just, they're, they're aggressive enough that you can get those big largemouth. They're smart old or, or oh. finicky or, or whatever, assholes, see, whatever me, they are. To me, if you place that bait where that largemouth lives, that mm-hmm. big, whether it's that tree stump, that dock, the mm-hmm. boat, whatever it happens to be. If he if he's there, if he lives there and he's there, you're going to catch him. Really? A good angler is going to catch him. <laughs> a good angler. Let me preface that. i got to give you a quick story here, everybody, and including Ange. So a buddy and I were out fishing one time, and we saw two largemouth come in on a flat, a shallow flat. Clear water, crystal clear water. Oh, my God, buddy, look at these things. Get him. He, he was ready. I wasn't ready. He throws out a four-inch Sanko. He catches the smaller of the two. It's over five pounds. Oh, oh my God. We're freaking out. This is over five. So there's, let's catch this other one. I spent 40 minutes on that fish. 40 to 60 minutes, almost an hour. I finally caught her, but I took that long to catch this fish. I watched every move it made. I watched every reaction, every bait it made. This fish was not a hungry fish. This fish was not a... a, a an easily catchable fish. It was catchable because I caught it. But what was, and, that, and, what was that fish doing? That fish. Okay, this is, this is the weird part about it. I think that that fish was wondering where the f my buddy just went. I was just going to tell you. You know okay, what I mean? Those, you said those fish were together. Together, a pair pulled, in the summer, like not not yeah, obviously yeah, not spawning yeah, in the middle were, of the but summer. But they were still together for to, whatever reason. For whatever, probably right. best friends, Maybe. buddies, mates. And all knows, of a right? sudden, not Gone. only not before the friend disappears, mm. the friend starts screaming and yelling and and, <laughs> and acting thrashing and slashing, exactly, and then disappears. <laughs> and now you want him to say, uh, "Gee, where can I bite now?" Well, maybe it was a feeding frenzy. But anyways, <laughs> and I'll tell you another very quickly on that. That six, it was over six. The, the one we got, the one I got, was over six. It was a five and a six together. It was unreal. Um, that big fish. When we were working on that fish, every now and then, I swear to God, she tilt her ass down and her nose up and stare me right in the eyes. Look, looking at me in the boat. It's almost saying, have you got my ass well, buddy in there? Exactly. Uh, like they were, it was freaky. It was a, a most bizarre experience. What are the, what were the, can it, uh, describe to Flat, me? It was sunny out. Yeah. It was flat, calm, pretty much flat, calm. So that we could see these fish very easily. How deep? How deep were it? Was three feet, three four feet. feet. Not 
choked with weeds. Not choked, but lots of weeds around the area. Yep. And uh, and some cabbage weed in there and some milfoil weed in there. I'll remember it distinctly. This was many years ago. And uh, and they just we just looked and said, oh, my God. You know how it's when you see a fish swimming or whatever in the open, clean water? Oh, my God. Look at this. Look at look. And that was it. And then and then that fish stayed in that area for that 40 minutes to an hour. Like, she didn't really want to go anywhere else. She just Which is unusual. Around. You know that. Yeah. Right? Oh God, yeah, buddy! Because so, it took off away from my baits. They can lure. Here's the best part about it: I would throw a worm profile bait, Sanko's included, because Buddy caught his on a four inch Sanko. So I, I was throwing Sanko's, of course, four and five inch Sanko's. When it fish saw, when that six pounder saw a Sanko, it went the other way. When it saw a plastic worm profile, it went the other way. When it saw a craw profile, it came towards it. So that's how you learn when you're bass fishing, right? So that's how I knew. Okay. No more worm stuff after 10 minutes of stupidity. And that's including little uh, flick shake worms and all the good stuff. But but then I had to say, okay, now I got to go through the gamut of crawfish profiles to, to, to get this fish to bite. And I'll tell you what I caught the fish on finally. I had a Senko, a five-inch Senko rigged on a, an extra wide gap, EWG hook, straight braid, no weight. That's my skipping. That's when I skip under docks with a spinning rod or something. I get it. So it's a very subtle presentation. I took that Sanko off. It's not a very subtle presentation, what you're saying. Well, no, it is. The drop of the drop of that bait. The only thing that's not subtle is the braid. Right, but it was 20-pound braid. braid. It's not thick. It's not. It's yeah, very thin. Um, so the, the drop of the bait is very subtle in the sense of a Sanko just dropping on its own. It's really cool looking. I took that off, and I had a, a sweet beaver, 4.2 sweet beaver, tied on another rod. And I pulled it off of that, and I said, I'm going to put that stupid old beaver on this unweighted hook with braid. I threw that out, and that big girl just said, whoop, beeline, and looked at it, and sucked it in one shot. After 40 minutes to an hour of trying to play around with baits, and she okay. just went and ate it. So, all right, here's, ate all, the, it. here's all the unusual things that happened. Six plus, bud. <laughs> it was freaking amazing. So, anyway. So, the fact that that fish did not scatter mm-hmm. is absolutely a Insane. miracle. It's a miracle. Twenty from medial away sometimes. It's a miracle. Yep. Right? Because yep. and by the you said forty five minutes? Minimum. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Minimum. So 45. for forty five minutes that boat No, she did disappear sometimes moving around, but, but we, came back. We, we came back or we found her again in that area. Very close area. Mm-hmm. I moved around a lot to keep on her. She yeah, there was something spot. going on there. Oh yeah. There was something going on there that that, that fish was not behaving normally. Mm-hmm. Let's put it that way. And that ended up her getting caught yeah if whatever whatever it did oh, yeah. against she taken what off. it should have yeah. done yeah. it ended up you know yeah. luckily in your case that fish got caught and released and, and mm-hmm. nothing other than a good lesson yeah. was learned it was great was for else. me for sure yeah. you know what I mean? that fish was acting totally oh, abnormally absolutely for, without a doubt because We'd, the minute that that fir- his buddy got caught mm. your fish should have been a hundred yeah. miles away yeah and me included i'd have been gone you too. Included. i would have been gone but I'm not leaving a fish. Then I see a five that's in the boat, and there's one bigger right there, and it's still waiting and playing around with me. I ain't leaving. Till see, I it can sounds move. like a spawning fish. I know they're not spawning, but mm-hmm. but but then again, maybe maybe I know I know the doc has said many times on our programs that um, some fish spawn more than once. Some fish don't right. spawn at the same time as right, right, right. most of the herd does. I, I got a feeling these were both females because they're so big. This, this other fish was five plus, not a five on the nose, a five pluser. 
So that was eleven. That was eleven to twelve pounds of fish swimming around in two fish right there. So I don't wow. think it was. And they were cruising until we until what we a got tournament one. Day. Right? Could you imagine doing oh, that during a tournament? God. It's never happened to oh us. Oh my but, but god! Can you imagine. And I almost I almost gave up on that fish. I said to my buddy, I said, "Okay, this is my last ditch." We were about to leave. I said, "Let me just put this beaver on here." And I, and I was. I don't know if I would have left because I don't know if I could do that. I don't know if I'm strong enough to leave the, a six pound fish sitting there. But but I almost left, and then it finally it finally happened. And then I'll give you another quick story. Later in the day, we went to a dock. Buddy caught a three pounder, three and a half pounder, and another giant came out with it and dropped into the weeds. And I threw that stupid beaver in it. I got it. It was another one over six. I got two sixes in the same day. <laughs> and what color was your beaver? <laughs> uh, that called that beaver, believe it or not, was big Texan. They call it. Big Texan. Anyways, this um, down here, big Texan beaver. Yes, unweighted. Braid spinning, giver. Yeah. Haven't got a fish since on it. <laughs> no, it's actually a good color. <laughs> uh, so All right, go. well that's interesting. Yeah. So, so that would be um, that was an easy largemouth to catch. Giant, two of them back to back. One was Doesn't easy. One any... wasn't. Huh? That wasn't easy. Forty-five minutes that's to easy. an hour. That's easy. Okay. Uh, that was easy. Kidoki. That's easy for you. It's not Come on now. 11 pounds not in one me. spot, three feet of water, crystal in clear yeah. in an hour. That's that's it's 11 easy. pounds that most people spend a lifetime mm-hmm. trying to catch. I you agree. caught it in one measly uh, hour. That to me is easy. Yeah. Okay. There you go. There you, oh, hey. Uh, hey now. Let's go now with the program, shall we? Jeez, we haven't even got to the program yet. Well, no, it's all about bass, we said. So we're talking that's bass. Okay. Yeah. So the first uh, item that is up for debate is uh, tips for beginners. And this, this is bass fishing. This is what we're talking about here. Yeah. Bass fishing only. Yep. Um, bass fishing uh, for uh, tips for beginners. If you were, if you were a beginner, what are the things that might help you in, in your bass catching um, future? That's pretty easy. A spinning no, rod with twenty pound braid and an and unweighted uh, beaver, and a little fat beaver to go with that. <laughs> That's funny. All you need today, folks. Oh, God. Sounds easy, doesn't it? Yeah. You know, exactly. And I and I think back to my early days of bass fishing because bass was not um, was not what I started fishing as a kid. Right, I started fishing the the local rivers and yep. streams and predominantly uh, trout. Yep. And so it's quite a departure, you know, from trout fishing to to going out chasing bass and I, i'll never forget first time i really started fishing bass seriously um i had a, a, a handful of all of the popular baits that i had read about white spitterbait included oh absolutely hell yeah Are you kidding me um and uh it, it was weeks before i even got close to catching a fish mm-hmm. so it's not just a matter of having the right baits it's yeah. not a matter of being in the right place it's a matter of putting it all together, right? Putting it all together and learning. For sure. Bass is an interesting animal. That's why I think we're so intrigued. Ange and I are so intrigued with it. It is that they're such an interesting animal, right? They're, they're very f- diverse. They're fascinating. Yeah, they are. They're, they're a fascinating creature. Love them. And, uh, and, 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 and so for beginners, what I would suggest that you do is arm yourself with every possible piece of knowledge that you can about the species first. Before you even start figuring out how to catch them, because you can't catch them where they ain't. Yeah, this is for both mar- largemouth and smallmouth. Both, really, you can't catch them where they ain't. 
And, and yeah, we talk about electronics and we talk about sonar and we talk about how wonderful those tools are and how they've changed our lives and, and how without them we couldn't fish. That's all well and good, and I still maintain that. However, before any of that happened, you still have to know something about the species. You have to know where it, it, where it prefers to live during uh, warm periods, where it prefers to live during cold periods, where it spawns, what it likes to eat, when it likes to eat, how it likes to eat. Like the more information you can get about bass, the quicker you're going to get through that learning curve. Yeah. And then you start working on baits and then you start working on presentations and then you start working on equipment. Yeah. But if you don't know anything about the species, I don't care how much information you garner on on technique yeah, that's, that's it's, pretty much goes with everything too and if you want to really get good at something for like, sure yeah no but i mean everything in life you know you if you want to go start hooking up your outlets in your house because you don't want to save some money on electrician you better know something about electricity a little bit you know you're gonna get electrocuted your ass is gonna get jolted but what about a rod and reel like if, if you were say okay beginner let's do it i mean you and i are bait casting freaks you know what i mean but we do use spinning um and, and in the, the normal world of, let's say, largemouth, bait casting is predominant for sure. But what about the beginner, the beginning angler going out? Okay, Angie, I'm going to start can, bass fishing. Should I use bait cast or should I use uh, you spinning? Can, you can do well catching bass with your regular, you know, seven foot, six and a half foot spinning outfit. Yeah, absolutely. Not a problem at all. Absolutely. You know, your, your, maybe your your success rate in terms of landing fish might not be great. That's, or, or that's hooking, a key. Or getting hooks into fish mm-hmm. might not be great, but you're certainly going to get some action. Your your presentation right? of your baits will yeah. be good for sure. With a regular seven. So you don't have to, you don't say to Dad, Dad, I want to go bass fishing, so I need to get a, you know, X1432 five and a half foot uh, extra heavy light medium action. Uh, no. Just take whatever you, you've got mm-hmm. and first learn about the species, but take whatever you got and, and, and uh, right. use it until you grow out of it. Right? And even if you're a new angler coming in and not fishing at all, then we'd highly, I'd highly recommend spinning gear for sure. Yep. In that case, if you'd have never or hardly done any fishing, I'm going to go bass fishing. Then I'd highly recommend spinning gear. And nowadays companies like Yozuri, they have, they have braided lines now that are nice and thin, like a 20 pound test line. I was talking about earlier, 15 and 20 pound test braid is so thin. It, it flies off that reel so nicely. And if you wanted to put an equivalent of 15 pound mono or floral, for instance, that's pretty thick line. And on a spinning rod, it's not, it doesn't work well on a spinning rod or uh, yeah, on a spinning rod. So there's nice thin braid. It gives you the strength for when you're bass fishing, like if you're there, like Andrew was saying, the cover that they're in earlier and all that, or even smallmouth to be able to put the boots to a fish like that. Um, I, I highly recommend a spinning, like and said, a six and a half, seven, seven and a half foot spinning rod, medium action, and uh, a light braided line. So a 15 to 20 pound braided line is what I would say go for it and then go from there for rod and reel combo making assumptions here but let's assume that um that most new bass anglers are not strangers to fishing right we're going to make that assumption because if you're a total stranger to fishing like pete just said that you got to start from ground zero but but we're going to make some assumptions that that people have already tried angling but now they've heard about this thing called bass and and they want to try their their hand on you know one of the reasons why bass is is such a, an important in my opinion an important creature uh, for uh, especially beginners angling beginners because they are quite abundant um, you don't mm-hmm. necessarily need a big boat and motor or a boat and motor period 
to right. be able to catch bass. Right. Uh, they can be caught from shore very easily if yep. you're on a lake that, that, that has bass, because keep in mind, especially largemouth that we're talking about right now, they live on those shorelines where you're fishing from. So it's not like you got to get a boat to them. Yep. Um, so they're relatively easy to identify the areas they live in once you start studying the fish and, um, and, and just casting out from shore and, and you'll, you'll, you'll get introduced to bass pretty quick. If you go on yep. any, any bass lake, you know, we'll take rice lake. That's close to us. Um, Scugog that's even closer. You go, you go start working the shorelines and, and I'll guarantee you, you're going to, you might not get a five pounder, but you're going to get bass. Mm-hmm. There's no ifs, ands, or buts. And that's a really good place for beginners yeah. to learn. Yeah. Just don't trespass. Just make sure you're well, walking on the, obviously in public land or, yeah, and, or permission land. And even that, if people would just ask. Exactly. Land they owners, might let you, yeah. Let nine times out of 10. Yeah, go fish off my dock. Exactly. Whatever, as long as he hasn't had any, any, you know, negative contact with trespassers, chances are that property owner is going to let you go, especially mm-hmm. if it's a kid. Yeah. You know, yep. who, who, who would say no? Right. Exactly. Small boat. I mean, even with small boats, like a, a small 12 foot aluminum boat, 14 foot aluminum boat, um, great little bass machines, right. And on, 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 oh. on the water bodies of water, they don't get too rough and get yourself in, in trouble. Boy, we've got a lot of good fish in general, all kinds of fish, but bass included in small aluminum boats. They're fantastic machines for that. Kayaks. Kayaks. I was thinking about oh that yesterday. I was listening God. to another podcast and the guy was talking about kayak bass fishing. I thought, geez, that'd be fun. But by the way, he was talking about one guy that had a minimum of four graphs on his kayak. So now they're doing what they're doing on bass boats. They're doing on kayaks because they're, they're doing bass tournaments now, right? Like sanctioned bass tournaments. These guys have four graphs, like four, ten, nine, like, and I'd be afraid. Like what happens if that thing tips over? <laughs> no kidding, eh? Like, what happens to all that equipment? Rods, reels, graphs? Yeah. I mean, but it does, it does look fun. Like it looks like a neat machine to fish out of. And, and these guys, you know, some of them are motorized now, um, which. It's yeah. a great way to start, by yeah. the way. You yeah. know, any youngsters looking to get offshore yep. and pursue bass, kayaking is just. Yeah. I have uh, my two nephews that are both getting into fishing and hunting now or lately uh, quite a bit. They both bought kayaks last year and they love it. They love it. I think it's just the best, you know what I mean? Yep. And and here's a point, one for you. I to, I told them to where to go fishing on one uh, one of these, and I didn't have that great a day. They come back and they got the five pound large motor of their kayaks that I couldn't catch with my big boat. So there you go. So you, there's uh, a there's sense that. of effectiveness to it too. So the stealthiness, yeah, of it. Yeah, uh, no, it's a great uh, a great, uh, and not just for beginners, by the way. Yeah, uh, but um, all right, let's talk about bass now. Now now we've got beginners sort of uh, set look, up a little bit. set up a little bit. Obviously, if you go to fishingcanada.com. You can get the whole meal deal. Uh, <laughs> the whole and, meal deal, I like that. Right, and and you can get uh, right in depth with uh, the, the whole enchilada. Yeah, with with what you should get, what you shouldn't get, et cetera. It's all available at fishcan.com, by the way. All right, now let's talk about about bass behavior because I said the most important thing you can do before you get equipment, you before you get, learn a little bit about the creature that you're after. Yes. Without this I mean, information, you're sunk. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely sunk. Starting. And, and I said before that you need to know where they eat, where they live, where they hang out. But I also said where they spawn. Correct. Correct. You, you should try and know where they spawn. Not, not for fishing them when they're spawning. Nah, no. No. Nah, no. Nah. But. But that's the one time a year that you could pretty much guarantee fish are going to be there 
with you know within a certain period of time temperature obviously is going to be the motivate not just temperature but temperature is one of the motivating factors there and why that's important because at least you could say all right so two weeks ago they were there and i know from all of the research that i've done and the books i've read and i watched the tv show the fishna guys on the fishna canada show <laughs> they told me that in the summer bass like to live in this type of scenario. And therefore what I need to figure out is if they're done spawning and based on the time of year and all of the elements associated with that time of year, they should be right here, but I've gone there and they weren't there. What do I do now? Uh Oh, uh -oh. well, you go back from, from where you started. Go Cause you go fishing. <laughs> <laughs> you go back to where you started. You said, I know where they spawn. I know that for a fact. That's the easiest time of year to, to, to identify where they, where they spawn, right? So now I know where they spawn, and I know where they need to be at some point here, but maybe they're not quite there yet. So now just follow the trail. It's like a breadcrumb trail. Fish will not just aimlessly go from point A to point B without following something. We call them highways, corridors. And they're as obvious as the nose on my face. If you look at a map or, or a graph, they're so obvious, it's not even funny. It's funny. funny but, yet, of funny, but yet people don't do it. When you just, it's funny you just said that. because the, the last funny time was, on my nose on my face? No, the, no. the, the graph thing, but the, the funny. Uh, we now, Andrew's talking about the electronics. We run a GT36 on our on our, all our fish finders, great transducer for sight. And I had side view on the other day and man, did I see a trench that was, uh, it was just a, a line. Like what Angela's saying, the plane of the nose in your face is plainer than that. It was a line that was just, a, I thought, wow, what a great little highway for a bass to just put his belly in and just start swimming away or to or from or for or whatever. It was crazy. So yeah, they're evident out there too. They're, it's obvious as, as the as other thing be. they follow is is food. So that's the one reason that they'll get off their beaten path is they'll follow some food if they have you know if they're hungry and they're following bait. But it's but, temporary, right? It's, yeah, it's very temporary. exactly. They need the security of of these contact points, mm -hmm. you know, highways, in order to get from point A to point B. So if you can isolate them, and that's once again why spawning area is so important. Because that's the only time of year that you can absolutely, without any question, say that is where they spawn. That's where they were. That's where they are. Right? That's where they is. And so you follow those contour lines, those the contact points, those corridors, ditches, those ditches, those highways, channels. those weed lines, those uh, you know anything. anything that 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 is different from its surroundings. Anything that you would walk along. Think about a trail in a forest. Do you walk through the bush and the thickest of stuff? No, sir. No. You walk along the trail. Think about it that way. Oh, a there's Look an eye opener. You. Look at you. There's an eye opener. Deer, deer run trails, right? Yep. You know, they all do it. So and fish are no different. Yep. So 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 if they are not in a because that spawning is over and you wouldn't fish spawning fish anyways, and they're not in B, which is their summer feeding area, then they're somewhere in between. And just follow that contact line, that that corridor, and you'll you will come on to fish. I guarantee you, you will come on to fish. And we're talking bass now. Yep. Yeah. Um, that's probably the most important thing to start with is identifying where fish should be. And some, by the way, some fish, especially largemouth, 
not small mouth so much, but large mouth will hang right around their area of spawning. So if you know that's an area of spawning and you see their old beds, you'll see these white spots, these little, these clear areas that are close to a log in the shallows, in the reeds, whatever like that. A lot of times they'll stay right there, right through the summer. A lot of times they'll stick in, in a boat, you know, maybe they move around a bit, but they'll find where the bait is, but, um, but they'll stay in those shallows too. So that don't neglect that before you start looking on the contact points, like Angela's talking on the trails and et cetera, et cetera. So yeah, anything that that's mind. different on those, on those lines, those, those highways, you need to spend a bit of time on them. Mm. Like, you know, if it's a, a, a boulder, a, 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 a log, a, log, yeah. a, a stump that was cut originally before yep. the flooding, uh, you know, on that particular body of water happened, mm. um, anything like that, those are good areas where these fish will take residency for the entire season. Yep. And they'll just, you know, forage around that area. And, and chances are those those logs or, or rock piles or whatever it is that you found, chances are they're not attracting just predators, but they're attracting prey. Yep. And that's why they take up residency. These big old bass will take up residency and live there because they don't have to go very far. The food kind of swims right there. Coming back to me. Hey, jeez, I don't like this. I'm hungry. One really good example of that. Um are are uh, patches of cane or reed beds or something call them right? Patches of cane. You used and, to live and, in those things, and 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 they've got some slop. Oh, uh, that's blowing, blowing into <laughs> it, right? Well, those bass will live there the whole season. Yep, they don't have to go far. They they left their spawning bay, which is right over your shoulder. If you look back, there's that spawning bay, mm-hmm. and they went out to that first patch of reeds, and the wind is blowing in. Some bonus cover for them, which is with slop or dead dead weeds that have blown Grass, in. Uh, yeah. uh, the wind is blowing in for them. And that's where they live. And if you look closely, you're going to see bluegills swimming around there. Maybe oh. the perch swimming around there and stuff like that. Ooh, and what else are you going to see there? Minnows? A lot of minnows. A little bit of minnows. You're going to see crayfish. Yeah. You're going to see leeches. You're going to see everything. that They all live there. Point. Here's a point for you all. And Angie and I have lived this a thousand times. If you don't see any of that stuff, get out because the bass Move. won't be there. I mean, you, you need, they might be there for a day or two, but if all that bait is gone for whatever reason, those fish are gone very soon. They have to live. They, they got to eat. And they, if there's no food source for them, remember that spot we, we fished thousand reed patches on the St. Lawrence river. And then we found that one, one patch that was-, that was loaded with not only bluegill and not only whatever. Remember, we were getting sun. We saw the sunfish like crazy. We thought, wow, this place is alive. Minnows. And lo and behold, there was about 20 largemouth sitting in that one patch. Like, it's God, crazy. That's great. So, yeah, you got to have the bait for sure. So, that's by the way, that's you should, everybody should, that's listening, that is a, uh, a relative novice to largemouth bass fishing. You need to mark that down right now. Cane beds with bait. With bait. If they're alive with life. That's all. Not bait. Beds. Life. If you see lots of stuff moving around in there, you're probably going to see bass. And you can see it because they're generally in clear water. Um, they're, mm-hmm. they're, for some reason, uh, the thicker cane. Now, there's there's cane and there's cane, right? They're the thicker one. The one that, that bull we rush, bull rush, rush, right? That's yeah. the one we're talking about. That one will um, generally be in, in relatively clear water. So if you go into those areas, just stop. And look down and look around. And if you don't see life, move to the next one. Yeah. But they that's, can be that's a gold with mine. the pencil reads too, both of them. So I'll tell you my story about that, how I, I personally discovered that. Um, my God, 40 years ago. Whoa. 
fishing a tournament. Back when those guys were watching you in diapers? Pretty much. Okay. You know the story. Um, early days of tournament fishing in this country. Yep. Uh, very early days. In fact, I think there was one or two tournaments going on in Canada the year that I'm talking about. Okay. And uh, there was a brand new tournament that we were part of organizing, and it was called Tri Lakes Tournament. Ooh, right, nice. and it was it was uh, a Stony and Buckhorn and Pigeon, I believe, was the other one. Buckhorn, right? Pigeon, and Shemong. Shemong, sorry, Shemong. And that's why they call it Tri Lakes and uh, great bodies of water. But you know, uh, we didn't know where the fish. We had no idea. I had no idea. We'd... But. There was a young man by the name of Bob Azumi and his, and his brother Wayne that were just annihilating these tournaments, the three Canadian tournaments that were going mm -hmm. on. But the interesting thing about it is that nobody ever saw where they were fishing. <laughs> So I'm giving him credit here because they they were brilliant, and they probably got it from. Uh, actually, I shouldn't say probably. You know, knowing uh, 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 later on in our lives where we where we knew each started no uh, spending some time together, I I got that information from Bob, and this was a pattern that that somebody in California was using, and he was smart enough to to do the research and started using here in Canada, and lo and behold, it won him a bunch of tournaments. But nobody knew where it was. Nobody could see. During the fishing tournament hours, nobody would ever see him. At weigh-in, he was always at the top of the leaderboard. Big old sack of fish. Next day, you say, okay, I, I'm going to keep my eye, my eye out. I, I, I got to see where you... Nobody had ever nobody seen ever him. Nobody ever saw Bob. So in this particular tournament, Reno and I were fishing on pigeon, the the lower end of pigeon where it... Uh, Lots of reeds. Speaking goes, of reeds, right? Right. Where it goes into, I think it's the Omimi River. Is it the Omimi that it uh, joins up to the Trent? I that think that's end? the north end, isn't that? Isn't that? Anyways, where whichever end it is, where the swampy end, right? The the marshy swampy end that eventually turns into a river, right? Whatever that river is called, I think it's Omimi, but I'll regardless, find out you'll find you're it. talking here. Yeah. So, anyways, we're kind of in that area, not fishing uh, anything but just the middle of of the lake. <laughs> looking for weeds of course if anybody knows that area you know it's just infested with weeds like where do you start yeah oh yeah where do you start so we went to move and our engine wouldn't start <laughs> this is one of those stories i like this already <laughs> engine wouldn't start and so now we're in trouble and we managed to float our way down i don't even know if we had an electric motor on the boat to be honest with you i can't remember but anyways, somehow we worked our way down the river to the Omimi area and went into a marina and the Pigeon River. Pigeon River. Thank you. That's it. Pigeon River. And it turns out that the motor was seized. Right? Ew. It was pooch. So we needed to get our trailer and go pick it up. We were done for the for the tournament. So, so is our timer done for this podcast. Oh, you, oh wow. They're just taking it away from You would me. do that. I, I know where we were. Don't worry about it. I got you covered, kid. Um, so anyway, so we uh, asked the marina guy if he could, you know, get us, give us a ride to go all the way up 
to where the tournament headquarters, where our, our trailer was to pick up the, the trailer. So we come back, pick up the boat. So he said, so he said, yeah, sure. So as we're driving uh, <laughs> along the shoreline of that pigeon river, heading to where we're, our trailer was, it's all those, uh, that's a wall of, of cane and, and cane patches and shoreline full of cane. I mean, everything is cane, cane, cane. As we're driving by, we see some heads bobbing in the middle of this <laughs> patch of cane. We thought, we, we said to the, to the driver, our, our breeder guy, holy cow, you, you, hang on, buddy. I, I think somebody else is broke now. <laughs> so he slowed down and he looked over there. And uh, there were the Azumis. Hey, folks, Bob Azumi here. Hi, Ange and Reno. Bob In Azumi the middle here. of this cane bed, <laughs> catching great. fish. That's awesome, man. That is awesome. And we said, that's where they're fishing. Wow. Wow. <laughs> wow. It was a you. revelation. And it was like the lights just poof yeah. went off, right? Needless to say, um, weeks later, we went out to that area to see what it was that was, yeah. and they won that tournament by the way, and right. not just won it. They just blew everybody away. Yeah. And we went in there and put the, of course we were afraid to go in, in yeah, yeah. right. You just kind of go along the outside edge with yeah. the boat and, and we're looking and Oh my God, it was just alive. Those, the cane patch was alive with activity mm-hmm. and it wasn't, much after that, that we caught our first largemouth bass in cane under junk. Mm, and yeah. that changed everything about bass fishing yeah. for us. Yeah. For That's sure. where we, the light went off. And we finally understood the importance of cover, the importance of locating where they, where they live and how to fish them yeah. vertically. Yeah, as yeah. Opposed, you know, up to then it was all horizontal fishing yeah. for us, right? Yeah. Everything was horizontal. White spinnerbait. <laughs> White spinnerbait. <laughs> and that's where we changed to a vertical presentation. Yep. Plastic worms, jigs, whatever. Yeah. yeah absolutely. And it changed everything. It just changed the whole game. And what a fun way of getting them to it. Oh my It's a God. blast when you fire but into up, a reed patch and But up until then, yeah. like they had to think of that. They had it to they themselves. The whole every reed itself. fish out there to themselves. <laughs> oh god! Every patch they stopped in that had fish in it, they were all theirs. Yeah. Okay, yeah. let's go. Let's we'll, we'll fish those five patches today, and then we're going to fish those other five patches tomorrow. And because nobody ever went near those things, you'd never see them. No, you'd exactly. never see where they were fishing. Exactly, had their heads down. Yeah, they, they, were they were getting towed, and they did. They they made a mistake. That was <laughs> your one mistake, Azumi. <laughs> so yeah, that's a great story. Uh, so so cane, cane, and more cane. Any lake that's got it. And it, it has it works, large yeah. mouth and small mouth, by the way. I don't want to alienate small mouth from that, although they m- prefer yep. the pencil reeds a little bit yes. more. Yes, yes, they do. That's those little thin, dark green reeds as opposed to the bigger, wider bulrush type, bull reed. yeah. type reeds. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, Smallies love, uh, they love the little pencil reeds. Oh. Sure. You get them in there. And that, you talk about mayhem. You better hang on tight because a, small, a four pound smallie in those. <laughs> And those reeds, he's going to wrap you up for bad. sure. Uh, real bad. So, anyways, uh, way off base there. I don't know where I was going with that whole. That's okay. It's, you know, you, you gave the people a, a good idea. We got into talk about cane patches and, and, and reed patches and reed beds and stuff. It's a very, very good piece type of cover to catch largemouth bass in, especially. Uh-huh. So let's go back a bit because I said the most important thing is finding out where they spawn. 
Yes. Because that's the place where you can say, okay, I know that they have to this be there. Is, this is their right. area early right. in the year. How do, we, how do we identify those areas and when, when are they going to be spawning in those areas? How do you identify? Well, to, to identify, yeah. I mean, the the only way you can really, to me, the only way I would know a really good spawning bay, guaranteed good spawning bay, is to be in at some time of the year, doesn't really matter when, and see the spawning beds. You know what I mean? You're going to look at these beds, and they're just a big saucer-shaped, you know, they look maybe the size of, uh, what would you say, Dan? It's two, three feet in diameter up to huge. It's just like a little crater almost. It's just a cleaned-out area. But, say, what's, ah. but what? But what? But what? 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 What's? What's? Uh, what's? What am I looking for, though? What sort of bottom am I looking for? Well, are you talking largemouth? Are you talking smallmouth? I'm mouth? talking largemouth right now. Oh, you see, there's a big difference in that. I've always been confused with the largemouth spawning areas. Um, I'm more of a generic guy, and I find the spawning bays, and you see a few beds here and there, and all that. It seems like it needs a little bit harder bottom, to me. But then again. A bass can spawn on a log. They can. We've saw them spawn on a mat before. Remember that thing I showed you? That fish had his eggs all stuck to a yeah. some kind of a mat that, that covered that was the, that was covering yeah. weeds, yeah. stuff like that. There was a rock underneath that, but this fish covered about. So I, it needs somewhere where the eggs can stick, right? I would think it's going to be cleaned out to where the eggs can stick to. But I don't know much about. See, we don't fish spawning bass in in Ontario or uh, southern Ontario. They do up in northern Ontario, I guess, but. Since we don't fish them, I don't really have a whole lot of experience in that spawn mode. Pre-spawn now, I'm getting onto that, and definitely post-spawn. So I just look for beds in bedding that's, areas and bays, like in these big, you know, what you say, that's got to be a good bass bay. If you go into that shallows and you see a bunch of old beds, you know, like a bunch of old beds, and you'll see them four or five in, in viewing distance, and then you go down the shoreline, there's another two or three or four. That, to me, is the start of of a good bay later in the year. So that's the way I do it. I don't know if you have a... You, I would prefer something with a soft bottom as opposed to hard. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. More of a more of, a, and the reason being that soft bottom generally uh, equates to a clay or or better yet mud or soot. Mm-hmm. And the reason that's important is heat retention. And as we know, I mean, one of the main elements of which there are two that trigger spawning is temperature. Mm-hmm. And so I would guess that a bay that has the best opportunity to heat up early, yeah, for sure. Other areas I agree with that one. That has a, a, a substructure that will hold wood. That's why wood is so important. You mentioned on a log. Well, the reason that that log had a a, a bed on it is because that log was warmer than its surrounding area. Because yeah. the wood will tend to heat up and retain heat. Lucky there through the night. I like that. So a right. rock would be the same then too, maybe. Yeah, anything Rocks like that works. Yeah. Anything like that works. Okay. Uh, but it, it, but, but we just described almost the impossible dream here to find. Where do you yeah. start? Lakes have got a million places like that. So one of the ways to to kind of start eliminating some water is to look for a northeasterly bay. I know that looking on your fish map, will spawn. You're looking straight down on your map. Looking you look straight down on the map. Anything say, hey, in the northeast north area um, generally will get longer sunlight early in the year than a westerly bay or even a southerly bay or a northerly bay. So if I'm limited for time and I don't want to go looking all over that lake, I'm just going to circle out the primary bays to start with, of which, you know, on any given lake, 
could have a hundred of them. Mm-hmm. So you're not, you don't have the time to fish them all. So the next thing I would do is look for, um, relatively, relatively easy access to deep water from those bays. We're still nice. talking largemouth or smallmouth or both? I'm, I'm talking largemouth right okay. now. Okay. okay. Relatively, um, easy access, but more importantly, in between the deep and the shallow are largemouth bass holding areas that I know for sure. We just mentioned a couple of them. Weed, um, lots of weed, weeds are huge, right? Wood, wood. A lot of our uh, waterways, especially along the, the Trent system here in Southern Ontario, at one point was land. Right. And when they built the, the canal or, or the, 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 the Trent, the Trent system, um, they had to, to, to deforest all this land because it was going to soon be flooded. And so a lot of the original um, timber roots and stumps are all still there. Waterlogged and, 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 and what a heavy, but perfect place yeah. for largemouth bass. And they're harder than the rest of it, right? Still, exactly. No matter what, no matter how old those stumps and logs are, they're, they're still harder, harder than, than the rest than the soft substrate. So anyways, that's something that you need to look for. So, now that's it, early in the year, right? Because like, uh, in August, they, these fish could have moved. To they could have, but how many times have, have those? I, I'll, and I'll, I'm thinking of Balsam Lake that comes to mind in South Bay. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, there's a whole bay full of these stumps in that area that holds fish right up until fall. Right. Right. So a lot of factors. No, I'm not. I'm saying those bays would be good, but I'm saying, what about the the bays in the south, the opposite? Would you say the southwest or whatever? They have fish. In well, them. they have fish in them. But I'm just saying so. the ones that 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 if you can't fish them all, right? You can't find them all. So the easiest way is to go to your high percentage, percentage areas, areas, right? And high percentage would mean what warms up quicker, right? This bay over here or way yeah. at the other yeah, end yeah. over there. Yeah. Well, chances are real good that this bay at any given time. Early in the season like will this. be one or two degrees. I like this. One or two degrees warmer than yeah. that well, bay Maybe on that the, means on the a west. more successful spawn year after year after year. It means more population year after year. And all of a sudden, there you go. Exactly. It's a better spot. Yeah. So good thinking. And one other thing that would be a nice bonus if you could, although it's not a prerequisite, but. Bikinis if, on the dock. Well, that helps. That helps. It used to help Hello. a lot more, a lot <laughs> when I was a lot younger. But. Oh, my. <laughs> yes, sir, George. Um, is incoming water is some yeah. kind of flow, some kind of an incoming, you know, little crick. Yep. Um, it doesn't have to be huge, but just some kind of fresh water coming into that bay yeah. is also a huge help. I like that too. That's... And what I'm told why that becomes important is for the fry when they hatch. It's not so much that it's attracting the parents to spawn there because they're more comfortable with incoming water, but the incoming water is a source of food for those younger fish when they hatch and they start working the shorelines and stuff. So if you take any lake and, and, and isolate those items I just mentioned, chances are real good. That is the starting point. And we'll call that the starting point of, of the bass's life. And from there, it's a matter of following it out and isolating all the other things I just mentioned. And remember, Angela was specifying largemouth. Largemouth are very much known not to travel very far. Uh-uh. So that bay is going to be pretty much their lifelong bay. You know what Here's I mean? one for you. So, uh, now, uh, will smallmouth and largemouth spawn in the same area? 
I'm, I'm going to say yes, but I'm going to say yes with a question mark. What do you got for me? I've seen it, yeah, but it's not common. Okay, yeah. Exactly. Because they are looking for two totally different mm-hmm. things, right? Yeah. Uh, although I say totally different. I mean, you, you you could use some of the things I just said for, for smallies as well, especially that north, uh, that, that easter, easterly, um, northeasterly back bay. Mm-hmm. That part is in common. Um, but but then they look, they're a whole different animal yeah. when it comes to what they require, what they need, um, temperature. Well, let's talk about temperature. All right. When when does this happen? When do the these spawn? Yep. Well, again, I don't know a whole lot about the spawn because we don't. We, I've never fished largemouth spawning. I don't think I've ever fished them, and even in the U.S. But I've, I've heard. I think it's that in that sixty-five degree area, mid sixties, maybe they start spawning at for largemouth. I'm guessing mid sixties. Is it mid sixties? So, um, Small, smallmouth is a little bit cooler, I believe. Right. Uh, could even be the high fifties. Would be, pre, I mean, they're moving, definitely but, moving in on that. I mean, that's definitely pre-spawn in the high fifties yeah. for sure. Yeah. So that low sixties to mid sixties probably yeah. is the area. It's funny how we don't, cause it's funny how we don't really, like I know walleye spawn at that. I've always been t- told walleye spawn at 44 degrees. And I always kept that in mind because when it comes open in day, I want to watch the water temperature with bass. It doesn't seem to matter to me. It's just, it's going to be what it is going to be. You know what I mean? So it's kind of, <laughs> I don't know if it's uh, hypocritical or what, but uh I don't use that uh, water temperature a whole lot. The spawning temperature a whole lot. I use water temperatures as an indication all year long for bass. All well, why long. why that's important though is because if you you're going to determine the starting point of this fish that you're after, and because that starting point is going to be where where do they spawn? Because I want to catch them a few weeks after, right. and I want to catch them all summer long. Right. Then the important element there is knowing when they spawn. Right. And yeah. to know when they spawn, you need to understand temperature yep. is a motivating factor. And you also yeah. need to understand that um, the amount of sunlight is as important, if not more important. So we're we're always thinking that it's temperature driven. But as those temperatures start creeping up and getting a little bit higher, so does the amount of daylight. Right. right. We, For we sure. get more and more daylight which coincides with the rise in temperature yes. because obviously the sun is, is up longer. Absolutely. Therefore the water heats up more. It's all connected. It does right? exactly opposite in the fall. Exactly. Those days get shorter and the water gets colder every Ex- week to exactly. go there. It's five degrees difference, 10 degree difference. So, so that are, those are two things that you have to keep in mind mm-hmm. is, is, is temperature and the amount of daylight each day. Yep. And as both of those grow, uh, these fish will move into the back, those backwaters and start doing their thing. And their thing, by the way, can take can take anywhere from a week to three weeks between when they're setting up the spawn, when they spawn, when the eggs hatch, and when the male guards those eggs. In fact, I was reading something just today that I was fascinated with. I did not know this. But under ideal conditions, mm-hmm. which is a constant 78 degrees. Whoa. Yeah. I like that too. I'll do lots of stuff in 78 degrees. I got no problem with that. <laughs> Which is very unusual. And I'm I'm assuming this stat was predominantly from southern parts of, of North America. Okay. Um, I did not know this, that a largemouth egg can hatch within 48 to 72 hours. Holy, that's pretty I quick, had no idea. That's pretty extremely quick. quick. I had no idea. 
Uh, normal incubation period would be a six to 14 days here. Right. And, and one of the reasons I think is that we probably don't have that nice constant temperature. I think oh, it's, it's yeah. early in the season. It's especially still very us, much up and down. Us. Good old Canada. You know, there's yeah. still up and down. And yep. so it takes a little bit longer, but, mm. but they will, they will. That's um, crazy. Yeah. Temperature will determine how quickly they get in and get out. And of course the male uh, stays behind. Once Starts. the female is done, she's laid her eggs. She's gone. Hey, I found another species that does that. And I didn't know. Bowfin, by the way, dogfish. Same thing. Eh? They guard. They guard too. Yeah. Wow. Just found that out. Uh, so the male guards, that's what the male does. He just sits there and his whole life uh, revolves around. Poor friggin' uh, guy. No he's eating, waiting, no he's nothing. He's sitting there waiting forever, trying to, oh, there's a beautiful female over there. I got to go hit on her for a little bit. And she wants nothing. Oh, okay, next. Okay, there's one over there. Damn, geez, this base full of these broads and I can't get anything going. Then he sounds finally like gets one. Sounds like you've had experience oh, with that Oh, trust me. I feel for you, little buddies. <laughs> you finally find one. She spawns with you and she says, see you later. Wait, take care of the kids while yeah. I go eat. Yeah. Stop. See ya. Okay. What a life. And so he hangs around Poor and hangs guy. around and uh, uh, makes sure that the eggs survive because obviously if he doesn't, those eggs are gone instantly. Because yeah. what we failed to mention earlier on, uh, when you isolate these beautiful, perfect little spawning bays, well, Bass ain't the only smart kid on the block, okay? <laughs> Pretty much all of the other panfish are going to be spawning in there as well and or at least using that area to they know they know they, bass are spawning they, right? this is the time of year where they get back of the bass exactly you know and, the eats and, are coming up and they just chow down on on these eggs so it's important that the male stays there and that's why we've said a million times you know fishing bedding fish although although you know could have a certain amount of enjoyment because you it's a it's truly full contact fishing right yeah. you're, you're you're seeing the fish and you're fishing pretty much above it and it's immediate gratification you set the hook and everything's fun and all that stuff but that time that it takes for you to pull that fish away from the bed uh and then and then get it back in that area yeah. and it makes its way back to the bed which it does do yep um pretty much yeah, even though it's 100 percent catch and release it's not good it's not good overall pretty, pretty much you've you've destroyed it's that funny that, you know that, I, i've been watching i watched another thing the other day on uh one of the tournament series in the u.s and it was you know it was a youtube video on try watch billy catch these spawning fish or bedding fish or whatever like that and then and then in reading beyond that they're saying there's so many reports to say it's there's nothing wrong with it. Look, we've had, we've been doing this for 30, 40 years. There's nothing wrong with this. You know what I mean? There's no damage. So it's like, how confusing is that? You know what I mean? And I don't want a fish spawning fish. I, I, I like the way Ontario has it now, you know, with a little bit of pre-spawn stuff and it shuts off before they even get close to the beds. And then it's open all year like that. And, and, and you just don't touch them when they're on the beds. I, I, so far I like that, but the guys, they swear by it being, you know, the the science behind it they say is it's not a bad thing because it's not just the anglers are saying this right the scientists they'd obviously change the seasons if it was bad for these fish where's the research biologist i'm assuming is throughout florida to texas to anywhere where they're allowed to do this and, and what do those areas you just mentioned all have in common heat right 12 months of pretty stable I know, weather. I know, I understand all that, but there, you're still fishing for fish on the beds. Yeah, but, I'm talking but about. Does according it say two to- week uh, time of, or one week time on there that they say is not, is not damaging. And I, I, I just, I don't know. 
It's weird. They've been you're right. They've been doing it since the beginning of time. Right? And there's so, no so shortage of fish. And that's there is no the shortage upper of US fish. Upper U.S. too. There's a, even New York. I think you're allowed. It might be a cutoff. Yeah, I don't think so. I think they have a catch and release uh, right through the year, and then they open it up for keeping after even New York. So they're all they're all about you know fishing them on the beds too, if you want. So I might be wrong on that one, but there's a lot of states that allow it. So yeah. So 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 I guess you know if we look at it this way, if we look at it this way. Two perfectly matching scenarios, perfectly matching. In other words, uh, longitude and latitude are identical. Uh, the temperatures are identical. Body of water is identical. Everything is identical. And you have one that has open season on spawning fish. All year, let's say, yep. And you have one that does not have open season. Mm-hmm. Which do you think would be flourishing more. Yeah, I, I'm with you on that. To me. It's got to. It's got to. There's no way that there's any, there, there's no way that the the spawning fishing activity is going to improve the fishing on that body of water. Right. There's no way. You can't make that argument with yeah. me that it actually is beneficial yeah, I wonder how they to study remove. That. Yeah, yeah I right. don't know. You're right. Because let's be honest, we live in Ontario here for anybody listening. And Northern Ontario, there's a year-round bass season. And and most of this province, or more than half of this province, there's a year-round bass season, which means you're allowed to fish them on the beds. And when you talk to the guys up north, there's, there's, there's no shortage of smallies up here. You know what I mean? It's like, I don't know. It's a, it's a, it's a tough one. But I am to me, I'm glad that the MNR in Southern Ontario has shut off bed fishing for bass. I'm happy with that. I'm very, and you know me, I love bass fishing, but... I have no problem going walleye fishing during the spawn and pike fishing during the spawn, et cetera. So, yeah, I, it doesn't make sense. It anyway, doesn't make sense. Anyways, so. we both agree that it's. I think we both agree that bed fishing is not in our taste. We don't. We don't like it, anyways. So, uh-huh. yeah, but so. Um, getting back to tournament fishing, there's changes afoot. In the tournament fishing industry, we mentioned one of them, um, uh, tournament fishing as it pertains to bass, obviously. And one of them is that, you know, we're getting less, um, we're, we're, maybe we understand more. Maybe the comment we just made about spawning fish. Because cause the point I wanted to make out to, to you is that those same areas that did the research that you say, you know, in the southern states yeah. that everything is wonderful and yeah. checks in the Kumbaya. mail, all that wonderful stuff. Um, they're also now saying that, you know, maybe tournaments should all be immediate live release tournaments if you read some of the articles. And they're all embracing Especially the, if it's spawning fish. Think about that one. Especially now you are moving fish. them. You're not putting her back. You're bringing that big mama out exactly. and you're moving it forever. Sort so of it's a bit of a contradiction, I think, you mm. know, which leads me to the next point about, about this, this bass culture. Um, we're slowly starting to think that maybe, maybe, maybe tournament fishing as we know it today needs to be revamped. And maybe all of those people that I have told in my lifetime of bass fishing tournaments that we're not doing any harm when we move fish 
40 miles from one end of the lake to another, or, or in some cases to a totally different lake where, where they were originally caught. Although on a, I know a lot yeah. of tournaments now frown yeah. on, on movement through locks, but back when I was fishing tournaments big time, locks were, were a bonus. We used to use them all the time. So, you know, maybe now our attitude is now that we know more, now that we understand more, maybe our attitude is changing to a point where we're, you know, in the future, not that far down the road, bass tournaments might become a, a totally different animals. You know, gone will be yeah. transporting fish in live wells that we talked about earlier on the study that was done um, telling us how fish behave how in live wells. Adapt in live wells. Yeah. Yeah. I, I like the MLF idea. I think that's pretty cool. That instant release, you know, you, you weigh, you have an official on your boat you weigh the fish in front of the official. Or he weighs the fish, and you have a set of rules that are in the boat even. And then uh, thank you, uh, put it down, jot it in the iPad, and then uh, your uh, opponent over there says, oh, my God, Angelo just got a five-pound, four-ounce. Oh, my God, I got my work cut out for me. That's cool. I like it. I mean, it takes away the big stage, but it's very healthy for the fish. For sure, it's, very, it's healthy for the fish. So what would happen if all of a sudden uh, that transition was was ordered? Worldwide? Yeah. Nationwide? Yeah. What do you mean what would happen? What would happen to tournaments? I don't think there'd be any change. I think tournament I think tournament anglers would be for it. I mean the US guys are for it, right? These guys that are running that in that uh, series, I think they all have no problem with it. I think uh, tournament fishermen are are their competitors. They will do whatever it takes to get out there and have some fun and do their thing and and compete and, and try to win. So I think I mean, the Canadian guys that I know, that you and I both know, I'm sure they'd all say, yeah, hell, I'll weigh that fish in front of you, in front of an official. No problem. I can't see them being an issue with that, to be honest with you. I don't know why they all haven't gone that way. Maybe, I mean, the big stage, right? Bassmaster Classic is huge. That's a, that's a, that's a gigantic money-making machine, and they would never, that would never work in that, in that format of instant release, I don't think, right? So, um, so you know, it's maybe the economy. I don't know. It's a nice idea. I like the idea. It's oh, cool. I do too. If it's we're cool. thinking strictly thinking about the animal itself, yeah, I think it's it's the perfect solution, and one that you know at some point we may have to make that decision because as more and more pressure is put on yeah. on uh, you know interactions with animals, um, it might become the solution, right? You could still you know I wonder if. Uh, uh, BASS, Bass Angler Sportsman Society. I wonder if they ever thought of the fact of let's do all our elite tournaments in that format and then we'll do the classic itself as the big as the big deal. I wonder if that would ever that's come by their mind. It probably has. I'll bet you because because let's well, be honest, got the, to. the classic is not a huge tournament and the guys are eliminated really quickly. So there's not like there's fifty eight thousand fish being moved a day, you know what I mean? It's a, it's a, a very small number compared to the amount of anglers out there, compared to the size of the waters, is usually on big waters, et cetera. So maybe they may you know maybe I have an idea there. They're probably all gonna beat me up now. They're gonna come up here. No, I, I, I you idiot. No, I think it's great. I mean we have to think that way. We can't we can't keep our heads in the sand about fishing because because if we don't evolve and make changes, uh, there's the the big bad man out there with the stick who's looking to take it away from oh us. Oh my God, are there right? they're so, out there in so, droves? Uh, we 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 have to be proactive rather than reactive. I think the organizers yeah. are all trying to find a better way too, right? They're all they don't these guys don't want to hurt their fish. That's their money. That's well, their that's their game. Maybe that's a, a podcast in uh, in the waiting. 
that we need to have. We need to bring these organizers guys on, on yeah. yeah, and uh, ask them the questions. I mean, sure. it's easy for us to say, eh, I think we should do that and that, but you know, unless you walk in a minute, we shoes. don't know shit. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Right. Uh, we're getting off topic, though. We're getting more yeah, into tournament fishing. Yeah, yeah, they're written in the culture. They're in the back of the yeah, tournament yeah, yeah, fishing. Yeah, He's yeah, got yeah. it all written down there. Yeah, Dean, yeah, he yeah. can't give you shit for everything. How are we doing, Dean? We doing good, buddy? Shake your head there. Not that I can see uh-huh. it. There, there you, you go. go. Thank you. There's an aha uh-huh from Dean. Um, what about this uh, one he's got written now? This is a good one. Why bass are treated differently than other fish when it comes upon killing a bass to eat it, even though it's perfectly legal? It seems like it's there's this culture, this myth, this whatever aura that, uh, you know, don't kill a bass. Kill a walleye, kill a perch, kill this, that, and the other, but don't kill a bass. And thank God for that, I think. I, I got no because, problem with it. Because I love it too, just but. between you and I, and never mind anybody else, they're tasty as hell. No, they're not. They're horrible. They're like, they <laughs> I taste said like, between you and I. Oh, okay. okay. I was going to say, because huh? if you add somebody else into the equation, then they taste like an old boot. Exactly. Okay? There you go. But between but, you and I? So obviously you've eaten bass. As you have. As we've I, done, we've done I didn't it ask together. you that. You didn't answer my question. I said, you, you tried to point it to no, me. No, because I was going to say, I've eaten bass too, <laughs> especially smallmouth. I remember Angie and I had a trip up um, way up north in Lac Sewell, and we had to have a fish fry, and the walleye weren't biting, and and we were we were musky fishing or something in a little lake. And then, and then our uh, partners came back and they said, okay, we got some fish for the fish fry and we'll just cook them up for you. And then we'll show you afterwards. And we thought, Oh, this is the best walleye, man. It was small mouth and it was frigging good. <laughs> and by the <laughs> way, it's Northern Ontario fish. Maybe it's cold water fish. I don't know, but it was good. I'll have to say that. The people who would not eat a bass or frown upon the consumption of bass are generally people that have some kind of roots in tournaments, yep. tournament fishing, yep. certainly catch and release fishing. For sure. And and For sure. and the reason that it would be frowned upon is because we spent most of our lives taking care of them. How could you how yeah. could you kill it you and kill consume that? it? Yeah. You're going to go kill a fish, kill a walleye. You know exactly, I mean? because they were made for that. Apparently, our thinking is that they were made for that. <laughs> Why wouldn't you go out and kill a walleye? God's sake, you're a pig roll. Pig roll. Give me some of them pig roll, uh, right? So true. Eh? Which is which is totally wrong, it's, by the way. But so But true. that's just our thinking. We spent all this time yeah. and money promoting the fact that we need to put these, we need to carry them safely and move them and, and all this stuff, and they need to be put back. It's the future of our sport is by you exactly. putting those back, et cetera, but. Exactly. Yeah, that's interesting. So, well, we both have you eaten largemouth? Have you tried largemouth? Uh, much younger at, uh, at yeah, a cottage on Eels Lake. Okay. And, uh, and I reason, think I did it once too. I and think the I reason I, I, I and it wasn't bad. That. I think it was pretty good. Was, if I remember, why white flaky it? meat, right? Exactly. As long as exactly. it wasn't out of a swamp at an eighty-two right. degree tip water temperature, which maybe it makes a difference. Maybe it doesn't. Co- cottagers but, eat bass all the time. Well, you got that right. That's, that's the that's point their, of pissing you off. That's the main food. Uh, right? I, I got another quick story for you. It's a rental cottage. The neighbor that I know um, was talking to the people in the rental cottage and the people that owned it and they were cleaning it out every week. They rent it, they rent it, rent it. They brought out this bag of frozen carcasses and they were all four to five pound smallmouth bass. They weren't the little two pounders, the one pounders or whatever. These were fours and fives and a whole sack of carcasses in there. So these cottagers, I wish they knew a little more of how to, you know, to a two pounder tastes much better than a, uh, a four or five pound smallmouth. I'm sure a, guy, a five pound smallmouth bass in, in Ontario is an old fish. That Absolutely. is an old fish. Absolutely. A two, a pound and a half or two pounder is not an old fish. So it's gotta be a difference. It has to be. 
Yeah, Telling you, would, you. Whether, whether it's a five-pound uh, bass or whether it's a 12-pound walleye. Even, even a six- or eight-pound walleye to you me st- is too big. You start getting you know different I mean? tasting for sure. Uh, no, none of those bigger fish should be consumed because, first of all, I don't think they taste as, as, as nice as a, a young. You know, it's like veal versus old beef. Right. It's the same thing. The problem is the, is the cottagers don't get it. They don't. They don't think the way we do. We're anglers. We're not cottagers. Their cottagers are not anglers, really. You know what I mean? So they don't get that. It goes back to that. Let's let's catch as many as we can. Let's put as many as we can in the freezer, or let's get the biggest ones we can get and put them in the freezer. It's all all those are negatives when you think of it in that way. And they just uh, people don't have the 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 mindset to to get away from that and into more conservation as well as eat fish. Absolutely eat fish. Just don't kill the biggins and don't kill them all. That's all. That's all. One-dimensional anglers who who, who, who who is – that's a moniker that is given me. to a lot of bass fishermen. Right. Because there are uh, folks who pursue bass who don't fish for anything else. Ah, uh, right. I got you. They're one-dimensional. Is there mm. anything wrong with that? No. Why, why would that be wrong? Exactly. The, that's what, the ro- it's, it's wrong in that they're robbing themselves of having a fun time walleye fishing, pike fishing, musky fishing or whatever. Well, musky, you might be frustrated a little bit, but, mm. but, uh, but you know what I mean? Like going out, when you and I go pike fishing, we have some fun out there. You oh. know what I mean? It's a blast. Mm-hmm. So maybe rob themselves or something like that, but no, there's nothing wrong with that. You know, it's a, uh, now we've learned with other species you know, we've learned bass fishing from other species and learn other species fishing by bass fishing too. So you can, it can help you in the, in the long run, the overall scope of things. So if you want to get, become a better angler, it might not hurt to be a bass angler and a walleye angler or pike, whatever. But, uh, and we keep saying, we could even say a trout angler. If you're a trout fisherman, you learn a lot too on the, on the creek banks and bring it, can bring that back to the, to the lake too. So um, that might be a negative in that sense. But if you want to just bass fish, what the hell? Do it, right? If that's what, uh, you know, floats your boat, floats your boat then, yeah. then have at it. I don't see there being anything wrong with that. Although, like you said, they're missing out. They're but missing that, out. But they're missing out. It's not yeah. affecting you. Exactly. It's they're missing out. Exactly. So I, I don't think, exactly. I don't think it's a problem. Same as I don't think carp anglers that only fish for carp right. are a problem. That's what they want to do. And What about Atlantic salmon anglers? Well, they're pretty lonely right about now. <laughs> Why are, you, why are you always poking? No, me? you know it's funny because I think Atlantic salmon anglers—they they really, they're very hardcore and they I don't think give they've... a shit about that. They don't want to care about it if I catch, well, especially a muskie in St. John River or something like that. But you know what I mean. But uh, it's, they're very hardcore. They're about as hardcore as it gets when, they, when it comes to uh, sticking to your species. Before we close That's cool. this out, um, let's quickly go into baits. Uh, for catching, yeah, for catching well, there's a whole both, other podcast. Actually, we both, will do another but, one, but quickly, maybe. we just just yeah. quickly for both largemouth and smallmouth. Giddy up! What do you want to talk? How do you want to do this? I'm going to leave that up to you. Uh, leave me. Uh, well, my favorite stuff. Wow. Okay, so here's here's the. Let me do smallmouth first. I um, I've learned a lot about smallmouth bass fishing throughout my life, not just in the last couple of years, but especially in the last couple of years, and. And uh, it can be diverse. Like you could, there's, let's see, how do I put this? So from top to bottom, I, I've i seen where you need a tiny little popper or some kind of a small topwater bait to catch smallmouth bass. But then I've used the biggest Zara spook going and annihilated big smallmouth on a big Zara spook. Uh, mid-range, 
you'd think that small it used to be my, my my thought was they used to be the small mouth are very finicky very fussy very blah 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 always in the deep water and boy was i wrong on everything about that they are one of the most aggressive fish in the water they are not always deep and as a matter of fact most of the big girls that i've ever caught are shallow until the fall comes when they are deep and that's you know that late in the fall when they move deep uh, up until then i like fishing smallmouth in 12 feet of water or less and that's where i've caught my biggest smallmouth bass in 12 feet of water or less a, a great bait for a search bait for smallmouth bass believe it or not is a largemouth bass bait normal normally is a spinner bait i use a tandem i'll give you the exact tandem willow leaf Number four to five blades, four and a half, whatever, willow leaf blades, gold and silver on a chartreuse and white spinnerbait with a trailer hook. Okay, stick that trailer hook on there with a nice piece of tubing to hold it on because smallmouth will slash and bash at a bait. And that, and you rip that thing out, um, that color is really good on sunny days. Okay, so you're talking sunny days in shallow water. People are thinking, what are you talking about, Bowman? I'm telling you, you are going to get your arms jerked off. Of you. Your your rib cage will be sore from setting the hook if you get the right day with a smallmouth on spinner baits. They're so, they hit it so hard. They are so aggressive with that bait, and it's such a great search tool. So a lot of people don't use spinner baits for smallies for whatever reason. I'm telling you, use a spinner bait for smallmouth bass if you want to catch fish number one and you want the most exciting hit in smallmouth bass fishing. Better than topwater because they just rail it. They smash it and it's like, oh my God, was that a muskie? Was that something else? No, it was a big old smallie. And you get big ones on it too. Going to the to the depths, I, I'm... Uh, of course, the drop shotting is huge. And a nice little three, three and a half inch drop shot bait. We used to, Angie and I are still, it's hard to get us off a Yamamoto shad shaped worm. It is such a great little weird looking bait. It doesn't look really natural. It just looks kind of, kind of natural, but it's so effective. It is unbelievable. Uh, that on a drop shot rig is, is, uh, is a killer as Angie, as you'll, I know you'll agree with me. Um, and then I've really gone a lot to, um, a straight craw, a craw bait. And I don't really care what it is. A sweet beaver I was talking about earlier. Yamamoto makes a few different craws. Any of their craws work. Any of these three and a half, four inch craw baits. It just looks like a little crayfish. Texas rigged like you would for largemouth has, has worked great for me for smallmouth. And I've done that accidentally by fishing for largemouth and fluking these big four pound, four, five, six pound smallmouth on that, on that presentation. 17 pound fluorocarbon it doesn't nothing finesse about most of these things you talk i've talked about right here are non-finesse so um i think those are are my nice smallmouth uh, you know give a, an idea for smallmouth then i get a whole other thing for largemouth i don't even know if you want to get into that one yeah. well it's funny because we <laughs> haven't uh we haven't uh we have we've we've talked mostly about largemouth in terms of mm-hmm. uh mm-hmm. where to find them etc and now yeah. we've you just moved to the smallie stuff. Moved to the right. smallie stuff. I did I think, want to go to largemouth eventually, so very quickly. But you. If, so if if we if we take conventional largemouth bass fishing, which as we mentioned earlier on, uh, relatively shallow water, uh, a lot of cover, mm-hmm. uh, mostly overhead cover that they prefer. Yep. Uh, if we keep all of that in mind, um, we have to make the assumption that most of the presentations will be vertical. And when you're talking vertical presentations, then you're talking some sort of a jig or a weighted bait that can like that go straight down. Just about, like the yeah. crowd you were just mentioning. That right? jig, man. That jig is such a, to this day, you'll never not see Angelo and I on a boat, largemouth fishing without a jig each tied on. A jig oh, and pig, a jig and chunk, jig minimum, and whatever. Minimum. <laughs> yeah. We're going to have it on there. It's, it is not your 
numbers bait. I, I Some days it is. Some days they just clunk it and there's nothing else. It's not your numbers bait, but it's such a, when you get onto it using the jig enough, you're going to find out if I want a big fish, I'm going with the jig and pig, jig and craw, jig and chunk or whatever like that. It's why just is so that? good. I wonder why, has anybody ever well, written to, to a me, study just, on that? I, to me, it's just because that's the most, uh, for a consistent big fish bite, I think I've caught more fish on the jig than anything else. Even when I go to the other stuff, even when I go to a Senko, even a weighted Senko like on the bottom, just seems like day in, day out, that jig will get you a bigger bite. I don't know why. It's it's no nonsense, right? It's you yeah. you put it on the spot and it drops. Either, either eats it or doesn't. Yeah, it yeah, drops right it drops down. There. You pick it up and you move along. Yep. Drop it down, pick it up, yeah. move along. Drop. And I think you cover a lot more water. Just it, It's just the nature of the beast. With mm-hmm. that bait, you're covering an awful lot more water uh, than you would with some of the other types of presentations. Yeah, maybe. Eh? Yeah. Because, you know, at the end of the day, what, what is it? It's a chunk of lead with, with some some living rubber or, yeah. or latex uh, little tentacles, silicone. And uh, may or may not have something on the back. Most cases, it's a crayfish imitation. Uh, But it's in and out of that strike zone, right? It's quick. It's fast. It's not like working a shaky worm for 30 seconds or something like that. And so so what does that mean? It means that we're looking to present that within a very close proximity to where the fish is. And we're also looking for... Relatively aggressive fish, fish. I would think. Exactly. Want that bite on that initial one or two seconds or five seconds. We don't leave it there and shake it around. Very seldom. I mean, I have Now, that's probably a mistake because I'm sure we needed to do that many times and it would have paid off. But but there's fish everywhere, right? So why (laughs) not? Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. So, so yeah, it is number one without question. For biggies. As our plastic worms, which were given birth as a a product for largemouth bass, Mm. various types of tails and lengths and actions, uh, but, you know, plastic or rubber worms, whatever you want to refer to them as, um, are are huge as well. But, you know, I have to say that, that, and I'll go back to that spitterbait story I said at the very beginning about fish being conditioned. I do think that even in terms of jigs and in terms of uh, plastic baits, they can become conditioned. So Mm -hmm. you need to, every once in a while, you need to mix it up a little bit. Deviate from the norm. Deviate from the norm. Hey, I'll uh, I'll tell you, moving on from the jig, something that people really need to get on the the train uh, is is the chatterbait, is a vibrating jig. That thing is, is deadly at certain times, okay? And you need to get out and start throwing a chatterbait. Look it up on the internet if you don't know what it is. Uh, bladed jig or chatterbait. And it's it's kind of the replacement of the spinnerbait. The modern day it's, replacement it's, of the spinnerbait. It's the combination. Right it's, it's a combination of spinnerbait and jig. Exactly. Right? It's, it's a, Yeah, it's a swimming jig with a vibrating blade on the front yeah. of it. So it's got a combination of everything on there. They're deadly, I'll tell you. But that's that's a whole show in itself. The, yeah. the rod, not the rod reel, the line, everything more, the rod is a critical element in chatterbait fishing because I've never lost so many fish as I have learning to fish a chatterbait. Okay. I got to go through the process of what, you know, was a, why am I losing these? What is going on here? They change this. They change that. The rod is probably the, to me is the most critical thing in learning to use a vibrating jig or chatterbait. And then once you get that and you start hooking fish and it's aggressive, it's a, rip it out there and rip her back to type of, um, you know, you can change the retrieve on it too and work it like a jig, but very cool bait. Uh, you should pick up some chatterbaits and just start throwing them because it's, the, it's working well and it's more of the modern day. Like the Sanko, right? The, that uh, soft stick bait. That's, that's right now, that's probably, if Camp. you said, Ange, go catch 
Largemouth and smallmouth. Both. Let's go get them both. And we got one, one bait, bait to use. Only. You pretty much got to pick a Sanko, right? Wouldn't you? Wow, that's going to be a tough one for me personally because I love, I wanted to talk about this next. I love topwater fishing. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. I love topwater fishing. Absolutely. Sometimes it's a detriment. Sometimes it's not the most effective way. Mm-hmm. But boy, oh boy, you, you got to. She's, she's you, fun. You got to love it. And it is effective. And you get big fish doing it too. Some like, of my bigger largemouth bass have come from those floating banks, those those you know those bulrushes that are all matted up, yeah. And as opposed to dropping jigs through them or in front of them, running a a, a, a top water bait parallel a to them, chugging sort of thing, bait or, or parallel, close to it, parallel, yeah. yeah. Uh, and even spinner baits, by the way, back to the old spinner bait, uh, running them parallel to draw fish out from mm-hmm. under that cover, the aggressive fish. The eight or nine fish that are not, that are neutral or negative, they're not coming out. And and chances are you probably can't even get them with a jig. But when you're using a, an active bait like that in front of those areas, it draws those really, really active yeah, yeah, fish. Yeah, I can see that totally. And man, that has got to be the greatest bite of all time. Oh, yeah. When, you get, when you're popping along the front of one of those banks and all of a sudden your world explodes... Just, it, it, there's nothing just like to it. let everybody know what Ange is talking about it's like a floating bog it's just like uh reeds in the top and mud basically on the bottom but then it it's just floating over top of one two three four five feet of water sometimes it's it's crazy and then although the shallower the, the shallower is a, a you know that yeah. two foot that two foot is perfect. so perfect yeah yeah, yeah. they'll yeah. live in everything but it, yeah. it's for your for your technique you're yeah. talking about that two foot is perfect but yeah. it's just it's it's you won't you never know what this is until you see it out there so if you're ever even if you're not a fisherman or you don't do, do too much angling but you're going you're walking along the bank and you see that all of a sudden hey you step on some guy. You're thinking it's it's hall. It's uh, solid ground. It's all of a sudden, boom! It was floats up and down. That's what he's talking about. And then and fish, everything lives underneath the stuff. So it's the cool perfect stuff. ambush point for bass because oh God, they yeah. can they can tuck themselves under there and they wait for anything. Mm-hmm. To drop, they can swim around under there. Hey, oh, there's yeah. a, there's oh, enough yeah. room on some of those buns. Oh, yeah. Used to fish in Muscody Bay back there. Oh my, my god! god there's like yeah. an apartment building behind the underneath there. So. And they wait for stuff to drop in off the shore. Mm-hmm. And as soon as it drops in, boom, Gandhi. <laughs> and they feel comfort in that because they've got this nice overhead cover protection. And it's just Absolutely. instinct for these fish to want to have to want to live under something. Absolutely, it's safe. And so when you yeah, can yeah. live under something that makes you feel safe, but yet has an abundance of food that's constantly falling into the water. It's the perfect Or on scenario. top of the water or in your top. case. They yeah. got top water bait. And, yeah, top water is just, uh, top water fishing is so much, and nobody can deny it, it's probably the most fun of all bass oh. fishing. You know what I mean? Everybody, uh, you can't, if, if the top water, water bite is on, everybody says, yeah, let's go. Let's go do it. No matter what it is, if it's a prop bait, if it's a popping bait, if it's a walking bait, I want to try that new Yozuri. We got that little prop of, <gasps> prop bait, that, oh the DB prop. I like the look of that bait. That looks cool. It's very subtle. Very, it's kind of a smallish bait, which I like the size of it. And it's got a clear prop on the back, a little clear plastic prop on the back. I think it's going to be fun. Uh, jerk baits are are another bait that, in that application, can work really well. A little more difficult to to get them to work properly because you have to have the depth, mm-hmm. but in some of those deeper, um, like that five and six foot, five I was talking and six about? foot, boy, you can throw jerk baits oh, that, parallel with that the shoreline would drive them nuts, and just that? jerk them back to the boat. And, and oh, they see my it sitting there. God. Look out. Yeah. I like that. Red and white. By the I way, like that. Red and white. Red and white. 
Wow. Something no, nobody's seen that very Nobody's well. seen that. How about and a pike, though? Maybe they like that, too, huh? Yeah, there's the odd pike living in there, too. <laughs> yeah. Eh? Oh, yeah. That's <laughs> always the way. Or musky down here. There's always muskies Dog under that fish. bank. Dogfish. Oh, oh, doggies love yeah. undercut. Oh, yeah. my God. So. That's the biggest disappointment in your life, by the way. You flip a jig into a, a piece of undercut, funk, you feel this great bite, you're fighting this thing to the boat, and all of a sudden, Oggy Doggy comes rolling rope, out at you. Rope. Oh, my God, it's the worst thing ever. <laughs> no. And he wrecks your jig. And he wrecks everything, wrecks your day. Oh, my um, God. As far as smallies go, obviously, that's not where they live, although we did talk about uh, some reeds that they live in, pencil reeds. Uh, you know, if you're looking for midsummer uh, smallmouth, obviously, something a little um they don't depend on cover um they they're more structure oriented and anything that gives them uh, once again comfort and also the uh, avail of 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 food which is structure for them would be rocks boulders uh, uh we meant mentioned pencil reeds they don't need the slop they don't need anything to blow into those pencil reeds because that's not what they're there for they're more for that that vertical structure part, um, and 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 those are some just some of them. Obviously, rock piles are ideal. Um, points, boulders, anything like that. My opinion. Here's something we we'll talk about. Uh, just move off baits for a quick second. I think that smallmouth feed way more than largemouth. More often. More often, more. Yeah, just more yeah. often, which means yeah. more. I, I just, they just. Why do you say that? I think there's a couple of reasons for that. I say that only because. They're, as I said earlier, they're a moving fish. Largemouth are very much, as, as you said earlier, they stick on that stump. They like that stump. They, so they're not expending energy. You're going, you're food's walking coming, a treadmill food's, food's every day. By. Yeah, but if you're walking on a treadmill every day, you're building up an appetite, right? So they're they're cruising around looking for food. By this cruising, even if it's inadvertently, they don't know it, they're building an appetite. And they got to eat, they got to eat, they got to eat. And they're just about always moving. And they're probably almost always eating. Whereas largemouth... They're doing, to me, they're more opportunistic. They'll wait for that nice, oh, there's a big meal there. I'll grab it now. And that's good for two or three days. So I, I, that's just a theory I just kind of came Large up with. Largemouth traditionally will not chase their food. Right. Like They don't want to chase. They'll, them around, they'll, they'll, yeah. they'll just, they'll, they'll jump out and, and grab it, but they're not going to chase it down. I think smallmouth, on the other hand, will do, chase Definitely they food. chase food. For so sure they you're do. right. So Open they're using up more energy. Mm-hmm. So they need to replace that energy more often. Right. And that would be the, the yeah, difference. But largemouth, yeah, they, they don't want to move. Yeah. Could you imagine if a largemouth ate as much as a smallmouth? That'd be an orca. <laughs> be a tank. Be, yeah. Uh, big, big fat. But yeah, and that all has, it has nothing to do with appetite. It has nothing to do with no. it because fish don't have that ability. Nope. It has to do with, with consumption Surviving. For, for energy, right? Yeah. If, and that's also why sometimes the size of the bait is so important because depending on what stage that bass or any fish for that matter is in, in terms of its fuel tank, if the tank is low, there's a calculation that goes on within the fish as to the amount of energy it's going to require to chase down that food and consume it. That's why, you know what, you know what always blows my mind when you see those beautiful underwater uh, videos of, you know, uh, ocean fish, like, Sharks will be moving through, and they're surrounded by food. <laughs> yeah, they yeah, are yeah. absolutely yeah. like. It's, why aren't you eating all that? Why aren't that you yet? eating it? Yeah, well, yeah. chances are it's calculating. You know what? 
I can get maybe a mouthful of these guys, but I got to really use up some energy to do it, yeah. and it just ain't worth it. Yeah. Why? Why I would go, I want to? I'm gonna go grab that seal that's sitting that, that little baby exactly. seal pup that's sitting exactly. on the shoreline. It'll be good for a week in my gut. And freshwater fish do the same thing. It's yeah. a constant calculation: amount of energy required to consume the fuel. Mm. And if the two don't, the equation doesn't work out. They are not apt to to spend a lot of energy if smallmouth are like that because i think they're constantly eating and moving so i don't know they're they might be the exception to the rule maybe we should ask a biologist about that one largemouth for sure what you're talking about largemouth musky for sure they're gonna why would they eat a little minnow when they can go grab that great big ugly thing that's sucker that's sitting right there right two pound sucker and that's why bass fishing flipping is so important Mm -hmm. because because what you're doing there you're dropping it right on that fish he doesn't have to use up any energy at all these big half ounce jig and pig you know what i mean right there Mm, that looks good i'm gonna eat that did i I mention overhang trees overhanging trees by the way for large no there's no no fish hangs in overhanging trees. oh my god only howler monkeys uh, uh, (laughs) overhead trees are just so overlooked by most anglers it's not even funny and when i told you about the unweighted sanko on braid with spinning gear folks (laughs) skip it right under there that's just a little tip for you and why because they've got that comfort of overhead but more importantly there's stuff dropping in out of those trees all the time yeah and uh yeah, I Anyways, like we that. keep going back to largemouth, but anyways, that's it. Um, um, in terms of uh, in terms of uh, uh, enjoyment, I think both largemouth and smallmouth are about on par. If oh. I had my druthers, I if I had to spend a full day bass fishing in prime bass water, and you're going to have a good day, it's guaranteed. And you're going to have a good day. Hey, Dan, you're going to have a good day. Yeah, I, I think you're hard pressed not to want to, in my opinion, stick your nose into that bank or that mush and that slop. I'm the same as you. It's and, hard to, it's hard and, to turn oh down all those big crazy smallmouth with the jumping and that. But I just, there's something about a large boat that just is, it's, oh. it's so drawing. I don't know. I, I get, I'm with you on that one. I have to say. Yeah, I feel better now. Yeah, we got a little bit of bass out of us, and hopefully this will be uh, released very close to the opening uh, of Southern Ontario, and I mean, it's going to be available to everybody anytime when they want, but we can get this kind of on a timely basis and get everybody out there and bass fishing and hopefully not killing and killing and eating too many of them, you know? You know, a pound I, and a half is okay, you can do that, yeah. and, you know, but don't kill that five, that four pounder, that five pounder. In anything. Boot, you know. In anything. That are it. Yeah. Uh, I want to remind folks, uh, fishingcanada.com, we have a plethora of information there. Yep. Never-ending source of uh, places to go fishing, whether it's bass or any other species. I think I, How to do fish I stink? for them. I think I stink today. Do I stink? Well, come over and smell you here in a minute as soon as we get off Sorry, the air. I don't, want to, do, I don't want to do it. I don't want to do it while I'm on the air. People think I'm weird, but I don't well, mind doing it off the We air. don't have any cameras here, buddy. It's all for private. No, but now you let the cat out of the bag. If I come over there and they're here, they'll know what I'm doing. Uh, that bothers me. That just creeps me out. But off the air, I'm okay with it. We're good. Uh, sorry. <laughs> Fishingcanada.com, uh, your gateway to your next fishing adventure. We have all kinds of how-tos. And I was on it this uh, morning. I was on it again. You were on this morning? What were yeah. you looking for? I was just checking things out, the latest and greatest, honestly, to tell you the truth. I was seeing what we got up there in the last couple of days. So, yeah. Also, cool I want to remind folks that, you know, it's uh, through your request that we come up with these topics um, of, of what to discuss. So if you've got something that it's just nagging you and you would like us to debate it or even have a special guest on, if you don't think we are sufficient for you, 
I think we did a good job today, didn't we? I don't know. I think it's, at the end of the day, we probably we always <laughs> when we come to these podcasts, we always ask Dean and Jordan guys how was it. We don't, we never know because we just get rambling on. So uh, we we just scraped. I mean, we didn't even really. Oh, no, hey, not hey, even by close. The way, not if even you close. if you want to get a better idea, more in depth idea of what I was talking about earlier on about starting when back bays and moving through the season to find the fish right to the winter period. By the way, which is a totally different place to look for them mm-hmm. um go to fishingcanada.com uh there are several articles on bass fishing that are absolutely bang on and perfect for uh to accompany what we t- talked about yeah today. and uh also while you're there make sure you enter the contest yeah many, you many gotta contests. win stuff you gotta win some stuff there's stuff there like we give away stuff like it's christmas every you're day. welcome yeah every yeah. day is christmas on fishingcanada.com mm-hmm. better it Okay, buddy. All right, on behalf of the entire team, uh, uh, Dean, uh, Jordan, uh, Mr. Bowman, uh, and Angela Viola, thanks for joining us. We'll talk to you next time.